1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Marano.
2: I'll tell you how I planned on starting this show today. I I alluded to this yesterday. What I did yesterday uh, when I woke up in the afternoon is I took my son for a walk. And we went and got some uh, flowers for my sister because she had completed the marathon and she's still hurting. Well, more on that later. But, and then I went and bought a Powerball ticket. I had a $2 bill in my pocket. I always try to have a $2 bill. And I used that $2 bill to go to the liquor store. And my son and I purchased a uh, Powerball ticket. I, I had to use my ID because they wouldn't sell it to him, they didn't think he looked old enough. So, my plan was this. My plan was buy one Powerball ticket. That's it. Last time I spent $20. This is the biggest jackpot in history, $1.9 billion. $1.9 billion. That's real money. But I thought to myself, what could I do to engender myself to the Vox Populi, to you, the people, the fans? And so I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this ticket, and I'm going to tweet it. And I tweet a photo of the numbers so everybody sees what they are. Those numbers, 4, 5, 26, 29, 57, with a Powerball of 16. Selected totally at random with a quick pick. And I said, if this ticket wins anything, whether it wins $18, whether it wins $100, whether it wins $150,000, or whether it wins the jackpot of $1.9 billion, I am going to split this prize evenly. With everyone who retweets the image of this Powerball ticket by 11 p.m. Monday evening. Why 11 p.m. Monday evening? Why was that the deadline? Because that's when the Powerball drawing was. So, as I was driving in. I said to myself, all right, should I look up the numbers and see if we won or should I do as we did last time and see if we're going to look this up on one, uh, and uh, on air live and people will find out live if we all won together? And I said, well, maybe it's kind of silly if I say it live because people are already going to know if there was a winner or not. 207 people retweeted this. So we're, we're partners with 206 other people. And so I thought to myself, all right, well – let me turn on a news channel and see if they say what ended up happening if there was a winning ticket sold. Because my thinking was, if they say, all right, there was a winning ticket sold and it was sold in Staten Island, New York, then that adds to the drama a little bit as to whether I got the winning ticket and whether collectively we all won. Lo and behold, listening to the news for the Powerball drawing, and again, the numbers we needed were four. 26, 29, 57, with a Powerball of 16. And ultimately, those were not the numbers selected. There were no numbers selected. There was no Powerball drawing. What? Think about that. 48 states all watching to see... Who was going to be the winner of the biggest lottery jackpot in American history? And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So they say, I want to emphasize, they say a technical error caused a delay in the numbers being drawn. Are you crazy? A technical error, according to the California lottery, who's so far the only lottery that put out a statement on this. Monday's drawing has been delayed due to participating lottery needing extra time to complete the security, the required security protocols. The statement says Powerball has strict security requirements that must be met by all 48 lotteries before a drawing can occur. When the required security protocols are complete, The drawing will be performed under the supervision of lottery security officials and independent auditors. Now, the question needs to be asked, well, when will that be? When are are they going to do the drawing? Nobody has an answer for that. This this stinks to the high heaven. You know, honestly, when I started this show, I wanted to highlight as many different conspiracy theories as possible because I thought it was fun. And then... As I saw how destructive some of these conspiracy theories were becoming, I, I kind of said, all right, well, maybe let's let's kind of evaluate them and prove some, disprove others, look at others, and maybe not go out of our way to highlight them. So I try not to fan the flames of conspiratorial thinking. But I have to tell you, especially since this comes about a week after in New York. The same five numbers were selected twice in the same day. Remember that? The take five midday drawing and the evening uh, drawing picked the same five numbers twice in the same day. This stinks to the high heavens. I'm not trying to fan the flames of uh, conspiratorial thinking. This looks very fishy. It stinks in here. The biggest lottery jackpot in history. And all of a sudden, something they do twice a week they couldn't figure out the proper security protocols? Why? Why? What was different about this drawing as to a week ago? Now, maybe it is possible. Maybe it's possible that it just so happens that the biggest lottery jackpot in history, the thing that they do twice a week and have been doing for the last, I guess, what, 18 years, that, that's when they decided we have a technical problem. Come on. This is, this is absurd. Absolutely absurd. I am curious if you share my suspicion. I want to be clear. I don't have a theory as to what happened. I don't have a theory as to motive. I think something's up here, though. What do you think? 800-848-9222. My gander, my, I don't know if that's the right word, My my antennae would not be up on this one so much if we didn't just have that Take 5 issue in New York State. The fact that there was this take five issue leads me to think that maybe there is something going on with the lottery in general. What say you? 800-848-9222. That's one 848 9222 I find this remarkably fishy. So we have no numbers to report to you. Uh, I, we, you don't know if you won. We have frozen the retweeting, so you don't need to go and retweet that tweet anymore because we have a record of everyone who retweeted it as of 11 p.m. Um, last night, Eastern, and we will, if we end up winning, whatever that drawing is, we will be sharing with those 207 people. So don't bother retweeting now. I mean, you can retweet, but you're not going to be eligible for the prize. But I'm curious if you share my suspicions on this. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two twenty two. 848
3: 9222
2: So pa- Powerball's website does no- does note that the results are pending, and results will be posted on the game's website and Powerball's YouTube channel when the numbers have been drawn. It is unclear how long this is going to take to resolve. Now, apparently, this there is some precedent for this. There was a similar issue... A few weeks ago, I don't remember hearing about it because it's probably because it wasn't one of these major, major drawings. But in April, a Powerball drawing was delayed over four hours for a similar reason. So we'll see what happens. You know, you know what will look really fishy if they do the drawing and either no one wins or 30 people end up winning. If it's just one random winner, okay, then I have no suspicion. But if it's 30 people that are sharing the prize, or if no one wins, then I will remain quite suspicious. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. All right. So I was on this walk with Carmine yesterday, and I got an SMS text message from our boss, the owner of this radio network, and the host of one of the most listened to talk shows in the country, the Cats at Night show, John Katsimatidis. And he said, are you up? I said, yes. It was 4.30. I was up. I was on a walk with Carmen. I said, I'm excited to hear this William Shatner interview. And uh, this is about an hour before the interview is supposed to air. You know what a fan I am of William Shatner. And he said, "Um, you know, I know you follow Shatner closely. You want to give me a couple of suggestions for questions? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll be home in 10 minutes. I'll write out a few bullet points about his new book. And, uh, you know, you could use them, not use them. But I, I appreciated being asked. That was very nice. He didn't have to do that. So then... About 15 minutes before the show, John Katsimatidis calls me up, and he says, congratulations. I said, why? I thought he was congratulating me for the ratings or something like that. And he says, you're going to do this interview with William Shatner and me today. And I have to tell you, I was absolutely blown away. And that is really, it really shows you what kind of a person John Katsimatidis is. Because, um... Here, John knows what what a fan I am of Shatner. And he's got this great guest that he could keep all to himself on his show and ha- ha- have a lot of fun with. He's just as interested in Shatner's career and his life as I am. And he could have, um, you know, chosen just to do that. And he went out of his way to include me, not for any reason other than he knows that I'm a fan. And it goes to show you what a great guy uh, john is, and uh, i uh, am r- r- again, every interaction that I have with john i don 't want to sound patronizing, but every interaction that I have with John makes me even more fond of him, so anyway, we do this interview, and um we kept recording Shatner and I kept doing another ten or fifteen minutes after the portion of the show that you might have heard on the cats at Night show, so what you're going to hear coming up in about ten minutes is the extended interview that I did with William Shatner even after his appearance on the Cats at Night show. So we're not going to play you the whole Cats at Night interview, presumably because a lot of you have heard it. But if you want to hear the whole thing, you could just go to uh, catsroundtable.com or wabcradio.com and you could hear the whole thing. But we're going to play you some of the highlights of that and then kind of the transition into – the post-show interview that occurred. We talked about his book, we talked about it going to space, and that's coming up in a few minutes. All right, let me say a little to James in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hey, James, what's going to happen in that election tomorrow?
4: I think I'm Republican.
5: I think um, Governor's going to be Shapiro, and um, the other one, um, John Fetterman, he's not going to win because he's really disabled. And uh, I don't think he's up to the job, but he's a nice man. But I think that's what's going to happen here. But you know what? They draw the Pennsylvania lottery at Channel 11 in Pittsburgh. And about 30 years ago, they had a game show called Bowling for Dollars, and the man's name was Nick Perry. And he, he drawed up the balls on the lottery, and he put water in the lottery ball. And mm-hmm. six 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 come up, and it was it was all crooked, and that's what happened there. So this is Jimmy Package. I'm looking for Jimmy Bohan in Atlantic Georgia. Georgia. Do you know where he's at? He's calling me a predator, and I'm a gay man, and I uh, date a truck driver. All right, Jim. good luck. Driver. Good luck with
2: your truck driver. Thank you. Um, yeah, that lotto scandal that you mentioned out of Pennsylvania is the, actually the subject of a decent movie. It's not a great film, but it's a decent film with um, a great cast, John Travolta, Lisa Kudrow, Michael Rappaport, Ed O'Neill, and Bill Pullman. It's called Lucky Numbers. It's a Nora Ephron film, uh, but he's right. I mean, I can't speak to his relationship with the truck driver and so forth, but he's right that there was that Pennsylvania Lotto scandal, and it is depicted in that film, Lucky Numbers. Let me say hello to Martin in Sullivan County. Martin, what do you think is going on here?
6: How are you? Um Frank. I do think that the system was scammed, and um, the lottery, I do think. I just had a question to ask you. How much longer do you think it will take? How many more times do you think it will take that nobody should win? So people start thinking that it's for sure scammed.
2: I don't know. So you think it's rigged? You think this is all part of the plot? Yes. You know, it's interesting, Martin, and thank you, because you want to know the biggest person who you can thank For this prize being the biggest lottery in history, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. What do I mean by that? Because Powell has raised interest rates. So the lotto keeps their funds in uh, very conservative investments, government bonds and so forth, that make more money when interest rates are higher. So because interest rates are higher... The prizes can be higher. And what happens when the prizes are higher? Well, a whole bunch of people like me, I don't usually play lotto, but a whole bunch of people like me go out and buy tickets. And so when people like me go out and buy tickets, that adds even more to the prize. So that's why I'm saying, if nobody wins this time, the lotto stands to make a whole bunch of money. So, again, it could be this is just happenstance, but it strikes me as a little fishy. All right, we have a first-timer. We're
3: sorry.
2: Preston is in New Jersey. Hello, Preston.
3: Good morning, good morning. Uh, on this lotto business, now, I never play because to me it's just a voluntary tax. But figure this way. With these uh, multi-state lottos uh, with something like 300 million to one odds for your dollar, uh, there's a 2 million dollar minimum on any of them for the same dollar i could just as soon play the, the the pick 6 uh, in new jersey uh, uh with 100 to 100 uh, million to one odds uh, you, you know, for, wouldn't you rather play uh, if you're going to play, wouldn't you rather have the the better odds for well, $2 million? Yeah,
2: I mean I, I, I'm i generally assuming, Preston and thank you for the call, I'm pretty much assuming that I'm not going to win, but when you buy a lottery ticket, and I, I again only buy when you, it's one of these crazy amounts, which is again, you're not likely to win uh, again, you have a better chance of being killed by a vending machine than winning one of these lotters. but um, because it's fun in in the day or two between the time that you buy your lottery ticket to the time the drawing takes place. It's fun just to picture yourself as winning the $1.9 billion. Now, you talk about take five or pick six or any of those other small lottery prizes. What are they going to give? $50 a million, $100 million? It's not worth daydreaming about that stuff. Come on. I mean, a couple of good runs at the craps table, I may end up with $50 million. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Martin is in Sullivan County. Hello, Martin.
6: How are you? I'm well. I wanted to ask you now another question. I'm sorry for getting disconnected. Um, what do you say about the elections with the Orthodox vote?
7: Well, what, so I was actually. What about the Orthodox, like Orthodox vote?
6: So uh, we all know about the education thing that's going on with the reforms they're trying to do with education. And um, us as Jews, I think that it is very important for us to, to, vote, to vote for Zeldin. All the rabbis came out for him. I think it's a very important thing. They all call it the Zeres Martin, just quick question the, here.
2: Did you tell Kenneth that you wanted to talk about the lottery?
6: Um, I actually called you before and we spoke about the lottery, but then uh, we what? got disconnected. I figured we'll go. Uh, oh, you
2: called today and we spoke about the lottery? Yes. Oh, I don't, I don't remember you uh, being... What did I say at the time?
6: No, I actually asked you what you think about the fact that it was rigged, and you were actually pretty much, you know, you agreed with me, I think.
2: Oh, okay. I don't I don't remember any of that taking place. All right, Martin. Okay. Uh, so, real quick, your question about the vote is what is? Are the Orthodox Jews going to deliver the election to Zeldin?
6: Oh, so, no, I do think that they are coming out very strongly for Zeldin. Pretty much everybody's endorsing Zeldin. All right, so
2: what's your question, Martin? Because we we got to get to William Shatner. What's your question?
6: So I want to know, uh, you as a talk show, what do you think about the education reforms that are going on?
2: what, What sort of reforms?
6: All about they want to change the curriculum and all these things.
2: Well, change the curriculum. How about a specific – okay, Martin, you got to give me something specific, okay? Um, I'm happy to address a specific curriculum question if you have one, but it's just – I feel like I'm sitting there with a shiny light trying to interrogate you to get you to tell
3: me what it is that you're trying to make a point about.
2: (sighs) Dennis on Staten Island. Hello, Dennis.
3: Hey, how's it going?
2: I've been better. I've been worse. Hello? Yes, Dennis.
3: Yeah, I'm sorry. I lost you for a second. Uh, yeah, I want to say that the, the lottery is probably, probably rigged. Uh, if they could rig uh, the election and get that done, why couldn't they do lottery?
2: Right. So who do you think is doing the rigging?
3: Uh, I would have to say the people that run it. And
2: And to what end?
3: Uh, to award it to specific people they want to give it to. I always wondered why, when the lottery is so huge, why they choose to only give it to one person instead of making, you know, 50 people win equal amounts. I, so, never, I never understood that.
2: So if they do this drawing today, for instance, and one person ends up winning, you you that'll be evidence in your view that it is rigged.
3: Uh no, not necessarily. I just don't understand why they that they do it that way. Why don't they want more winners? Right. Well, and and wouldn't it be easier it, for them just but, to choose one?
2: Yeah, but Dennis, uh, if it,
3: it was rigged,
2: it, they don't necessarily pick the winners. It's based on who has the winning numbers.
3: Right, but what if they what if they pick the numbers to match whoever they want? Right.
2: Okay. Well, see, that's uh, that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering, Dennis. Thank you. All right. Um, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We will continue this discussion a bit later. But the Lawrence Olivier of the airwaves, the greatest Canadian actor of all time, a best-selling author, a director, a producer, a TV pitch man, a spoken word artist. And a man who has portrayed some of the most iconic figures figures in the history of the silver screen, Denny Crane, T.J. Hooker, and of course Captain Kirk, will be my guest
1: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's the Other Side of Midnight with Frank, Frank Morano.
8: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. No tears, tea, tears, tea, tears for Caesar.
9: The evil that
8: men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man,
10: so are they all, all honorable,
2: honorable men, honorable men, honorable men. This was a man, this was a man. This no is a song called No Tears for Caesar. It is one of Shatner's few hip hop songs. It is uh, Shatner and Rated R, the rapper Rated R. And I have always said uh, to youth, and this song is 24 years old. I have always said this song is the best way to teach the play Julius Caesar to young people. Because I still hear the words of Shatner and to a lesser extent Rated R in this song. And it's the best way to memorize that Mark Antony monologue in the, in the play. It's great. And it is just wonderful. This is from a film originally called um, Free Enterprise. If you're a Shatner fan and have not seen the film Free Enterprise, you're not a Shatner fan. It's about 24 years old, and this was right before Shatner blew up again. And basically, the premise of the film is two lifelong fans of Star Trek and William Shatner have Shatner appear to them at all sorts of key moments throughout their life. It's almost like Humphrey Bogart in the Woody Allen movie, Play It Again, Sam. Well... That might as well have been what occurred with John Katsimatidis and me yesterday, because John and me are lifelong fans of William Shatner, and to be able to interview him and talk to him about his book and about what he's doing um, in terms of going to space and everything like that was a real treat. So what you're going to hear is the beginning of a discussion that uh, John and me and uh, Lydia Serrano and I had with William Shatner, and then a continuation of that discussion that is exclusively for this program, The Other Side of Midnight.
4: Final
10: Frontier. These
11: oh.
8: are
10: the voyages of the starship...
8: Enterprise. Well, you know what this means. It's five-year mission. We have William Shatner, a.k.a. Captain Kirk,
5: on the line. He has a new book. It's called Boldly Go, go, Reflections on a Life of Awe and Wonder. Welcome to Cats at Night. William Shatner. Thank
10: you. Thank you.
11: Now, William Shatner, John Katsimatidis here. Uh, I was going to NYU, and everybody gathered around the television set at NYU during our college. The only television set on campus. To watch you in uh, Star Trek originally, and and um, it was it, it was a show before its time. And how did you feel doing it?
10: Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, Rick, you, you're uh, you're living in the past at 60 years old. You realize that, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, and and you want to talk about a 60 year old event in your life and in mine? I'm perfectly willing to do that, although. Bringing it up to date is also interesting, isn't it?
2: Mr. Shatner, this is uh, Frank Morano, and uh, it's great to talk with you again. And uh, I congratulate you on the new book. I've read all your books, and I absolutely love this one. You've spent so much of your life portraying characters that have gone to outer space, and now you've achieved what very few people actually have and got to go to outer space. The reaction that you said that you had when you got there, I think, surprised a lot of people. You indicated that it made you sad. Did that surprise you? And why did going to space and seeing the Earth absolutely. make you sad?
10: It was a shock to me. Um, I had no idea that that would be my feeling. The the original idea of going up there for me was the excitement, the thrill of going into space. I talked about it uh, all these years ago about space, the final frontier. I've given speeches where I've said the final frontier. And probably the final frontier is death and what happens after death. But uh, I I had given essentially lip service to all those things, saying it because I felt it, but I didn't realize how deeply it affected me. I've been an ecologist for a long time, observing what was happening in the world and trying to speak out against it. And, and, um, And then going up into space, I... I, um, I, uh, I, uh, I I observed uh, the blackness of space and the, the, the gorgeousness of the Earth. And when they came back, I started to cry. I didn't know why I was crying. And I had to sit down for a few months to realize I had a feeling of grief. And the grief was for the world. And the grief mm. was for the <clears throat> things that are going extinct now as you and I are talking. There there are entities going extinct that we've never seen. It's taken 5.8 billion years to evolve, and these gorgeous, beautiful things that the world and life uh, made whole is gone, and we don't know what they were, what they did, and what a miracle it was to have them on Earth. And that, to me, was so sad and tragic, and and I didn't fully comprehend it Mm. until I was able to take some time to think about it.
2: Uh, Talking with William Shatner, his new book is Boldly Go. you got to check it out. And, uh, Mr. Shatner, you mentioned death. My lone complaint with you, and I've followed everything you've ever done, and I'm a fan of everything you've ever done, is that I haven't gotten to interview you nearly enough. And I always thought that uh, when you stopped living, that opportunity would go away. But apparently I may have that opportunity, and John Katsimatidis may have that opportunity to interview you even after you pass on. Are you really going to be a hologram after you pass away?
10: Well, I'm so involved in futuristic things it's been not something I would have chosen sixty years ago, but over the years because of uh, uh, of uh, uh, interviews like this where people talk about what is the future and what and what uh, thinking I know, uh, I've I've had a deep interest in futuristic ideas and one of the ideas that uh, came to me, is, uh, a couple of years ago that that, that uh, uh, somebody came to me with was a hologram and artificial intelligence and the technology of being able to allow the viewer to ask a question and then the artificial intelligence element answering that question. So I sat down in front of, oh, I don't know, 15 cameras taking a uh, holographic picture of me, Uh, I sat for five days and answered questions as fully as I could, and out of that came a, uh, a, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a a recording of uh, every imaginable question and every imaginable answer, so that now and in the future, somebody will be able to sit down in front of my image and ask me a question and presumably I'll have a decent answer to that question. And what struck me uh, hugely was if that technology had been around at the time of, oh, I don't know, Einstein? How about Beethoven? How about Plato? If you could sit down in front of an image of the great men of history and ask them a question pertaining to anything, pertaining to when they went to the bathroom, or how did mm. they get the idea for their philosophy? What an extraordinary uh, experience it would be for you. So I joined that company called um, um, StoryFile, and that's the company that's doing that. And think of the uses uh, that you could put that to. Yeah. Uh,
11: how, how, far away, how far away from being able to download the brain into a computer? The brain? Yes.
10: The, the you, uh, Did you say the brain?
11: Someday we'll be able to download a, our brain into a computer. How far away do you think we are?
10: Well, I think that's a long ways off, but we can download information. <coughs> For example, there's a huge computer, the largest computer in the world, that has been programmed with everything that's <coughs> been written in English. And I watched somebody inquire... Uh, esoteric things, not what is two plus two, but things that ordinarily a computer can't answer, like what is love and and what is justice, things that are ephemeral. So since this computer was programmed with everything that has been said, it offered very erudite answers to those uh, uh, (coughs) non-concrete questions. And then it occurred to me that all of us, are programmed by uh, by teachers telling us, well, here's what Plato said, here's what uh, 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 Einstein said, here's what two plus two is. So we're all, in effect, artificial intelligence pro- uh, pr- programmed, and and there isn't there is a difference between us and a and a computer, but the edges are getting more and more. Uh,
2: Mr. Shatner, uh, you did a terrific series for the History Channel called William Shatner Meets Ancient Aliens. And uh, obviously your career has been so tied up with space all the way going back to the 60s, all the way till uh, last year. It was also reported years ago that you you might have actually seen a UFO. Uh, Given your perspective on all this stuff and researching it, tell folks what you think about the possibility of UFOs having visited this planet is.
3: Well,
10: Again, you've got to make the distinction between an unidentified flying object, which is a flying object that's out there and we haven't identified what it is, uh, and a little green man in control of that UFO. There's a huge difference. Now, we've seen recently filmed by Navy pilots on UFOs. But there's no explanation. We don't know what they are. Uh, we've heard... Um, military guys on ships, saying they saw ships on the horizon disappear into the ocean. Um, do you know what the word pata is?
2: I'm embarrassed to say I don't.
10: No, it's no embarrassment. I I came upon the word some time ago. I looked it up and realized pata means an illusion. That's what uh, uh, one might see in the desert when you see a mirage and it's not really there. But where is it? We now know that the light waves uh, can be uh, perverted by uh, hot air, waves, layers of hot air in the same way sound in the ocean uh, uses layers of cold and hot water, currents of cold and hot water. So the air is the same way. So that there is a phenomenon known as Fata Morgana, which means that it's possible that some object a distance, maybe a 1,000 miles away, is being projected into the stratosphere and reflected somewhere else. And so Santa Morgana, this this phenomena of a very worldly phenomena that's explained could be part of what we're talking about.
11: Frank Moreno and uh, William Shatner, you guys can continue the conversation for for our show uh that 's coming up William Shatner, we love you, and the, the world loves you and I think you're you 're more right than wrong but what could I say? Mr. Shatner,
2: I have been a fan of your music for a long time. I have all your albums going back to the Transformed Man, uh, the song that you did with uh, Ben Folds 5, History of Pop Volume 1, I think might be the only song I actually know every lyric to. Uh, your album has been, I thought, was transformative. You've been recording music since the 60s. Now you've actually had the opportunity to perform with legendary musician Yo-Yo Ma, something a lot of musicians wait a lifetime for. What advice would you give for aspiring musicians who either want to make it to Carnegie Hall or make it to Yo-Yo Ma?
10: Well, let me clarify uh, the Yo-Yo Ma. I recently did an album called Bill, which is out there now. Uh, You can get it on Spotify and things like that. And there was a, a um, a uh, song that the, the team, the two guys and myself, wrote uh, about loneliness. And I thought the only accompaniment I would need on that uh, song about loneliness would be Yo-Yo Ma. So I attempted, uh, and I've talked to him once or twice over the years, so I attempted to get in touch with him to ask him to play on the album And his agent or somebody representing him said he was on tour and he couldn't. And uh, so much to my regret, we went somewhere else without uh, uh, Mr. Ma. But uh, we're planning another album uh, right Ah, now uh, called Raw. Uh, And uh, it would be my hope that I would contact Yo-Yo Ma again and see if he would uh, uh, join me on a on a on a on a song that we had written i have um, i recently performed at um, Kennedy center and we made a uh, a uh, television show and an album uh, and uh, and there's another uh, documentary on me so we have a package of an album two documentaries uh, and a company called Legion M is representing it and I think it's going to be uh, really wonderful in addition to all that and this is my point one of the songs that i performed at kennedy center we wrote called so fragile so blue and it's about uh the condition of the world and, and uh, the, the the wreckage and the hope that we can save something and and we're making a music video of it and i'm my 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 fantasy is this music video, So Fragile, So Blue, which has again and again the phrase, what can we do? Uh, my hope is to get celebrities to join in. What can we do? And this whole music video be a rallying cry to the oil industry and everybody else to help uh, save uh, the world. Now, the world will continue, but mankind may, to a large extent, uh, go... Uh, uh, go uh,
12: Extinct.
2: I think it's so great that you're investing so much of your time into the future of mankind and the future of the earth, even though you have talked before. You're in your 90s now, and uh, my 11-month-old son, he has uh, much more of a vested interest and much more of a self-interest in making sure mankind and the globe continues than, than you might. And uh, I just give you all the credit in the world for that. If people aren't well, William Shadden. He's
10: 11 months or 11 years?
2: 11 months, 11 months.
10: Well, I have a great-grandchild. His middle name is, is William, uh, for you. Well, was one that's three and one that's one month. And I, too, am consumed with the, with the imperative that the world for them, we need to change now to, to, to save the world for them. There, we don't know how bad things will be for for your, grand, for your child in 20, 30, 40 years from now, and it behooves all of us, those in the coal industry, those in the oil industry, those in the tobacco industry, all the industries that are are need to update themselves, to face the world as it is, and, 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 and it should be. It's the, the great companies that are oil companies and coal companies, the great companies that led this country into the uh, forward position it's in, all need to now look with intelligence and compassion at what's happening in the world. The world has changed. They need to change with it or they'll become extinct because, you know, things change. There is progress and we need to adjust. If we fight the change, we ourselves will be uh, extinguished. If we go with the change, improve on the change, then uh, we will exist and, and further uh, the great things that mankind can do.
2: As I alluded to when we were speaking with John Katzmatidis, I have seen, uh, and he's an oil man, but I have seen some people in the oil sector and and people that have made money in the fossil fuel business be willing to make that uh, transition to renewables and biofuels and things of uh, of that nature. But if you're just an ordinary person, if you're not William Shatner, who has a global or international uh, megaphone, if you're not a billionaire like John Katzmatidis, what can an individual person do who's listening to us right now that's concerned well, about the future of the planet? You can,
10: you can elect officials that talk about it uh, with sensibilities. Uh, you can... Uh, and that's the key thing. Our government and the governments of the world are gradually acknowledging the, the existential problem that exists. It's just that if, if so many people who might have a, a mortgage on their house and can't make the payment would rather go out to dinner or, or, or in some way uh, kick the, the can down the road rather than facing the problem we've got to stop spending money enough so we can pay the mortgage. It's hmm. just human nature. We've buried our heads in the sand. Industries have buried their heads in the sand. Ordinary people, who do you think was affected by the, by the hurricanes uh, and the cyclones that hit uh, uh, Florida. Florida is on the verge of being inundated by the sea. We know the sea is going to rise. So already, Florida, around Miami, they're putting up 20-foot walls. Uh, in front of apartments, that cost millions of dollars so they can have a view of the sea. Walls are going up now to contain uh, the water. New York City is going to have to put up dams. There's no question. All this is happening in the future. We've got to go with the future. We've got to swing with the blow. We've got to take the, the hit and move with it, and denying it is going to lead to our death. So ordinary people need to understand there is a way out, but we have to have people representing us to uh, help lead us out of the way.
2: Uh, two two final questions, sir, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time. Believe me, I know how busy you are. But uh, it seems like so much of your life, you your life ha- existence has been inexorably tied with animals, uh, dogs, horses. Uh, the list goes on and on. Now, at 90, my grandmother, uh, the extent of her wilding was maybe the occasional Mahjong game and doing a little knitting at 90 chose to actually go swimming with sharks. I'm wondering if you could tell people about what that experience was like and why you chose to go swimming with sharks at any age, let alone 90.
10: Well, swimming with sharks was a challenge. And they were 18-foot tiger sharks. And there was an element of safety because I was diving with Bahamian uh, divers who knew their job. So there was one behind me the whole time except when he darted out to push a shark aside. Uh, he was behind me because he told me later they're ambush predators and they sneak up behind you. They, there is an element of danger, no question. Sharks uh, sometimes take a bite out of people, but mostly it's because they, they think the human being is a seal or, or something edible. Mostly, not all the time, enough to, to make it dangerous. Uh, sharks don't want to have anything to do with it. But it was that thrill of the danger. It was that thrill of jumping out of an airplane. It's that thrill of going up into space knowing that hydrogen uh, was in the vehicle and, and burning to get us up there and having my head filled over the years with the Hindenburg uh, documentaries. So it has to do with the thrill and it has to do with the curiosity. And if your grandma just asked a question about mahjong, where does it come from? Where does it go? (laughs) Who thought of it? Why are these rules? It's the curiosity of everybody all the time that keeps you alive and well and young. It's that Uh, inner uh, child that needs to be cultivated and and kept alive so that that child of three, four, five, six, seven, because what's that and why is it? That's the secret to, to. Uh, full and, and long life.
2: L- lastly, sir, I-, I think one of the saddest things in the world is when uh, folks um, hold grudges. And uh, one of the messages that uh, you have been hammering home to everybody for years is always say yes to everything, say yes to every opportunity. You never know where that leads. And I was so pleased to read in uh, your book, "Boldly Go," that uh, you and James Doohan, a fellow Canadian who famously played uh, Scotty, that you guys sort of patched things up before he passed away. He'd written some uh, negative things about you and said some things about you that were not so kind. Uh, and I'm wondering uh, what advice you would give to people who may have folks that they're holding grudges with in their own life about how they can look past uh, some silly negativity and patch things up with folks they may have been estranged from for a long time, be they family members, you know, friends, co-workers. To
10: say, holding a grudge, having uh, anger toward uh, uh, having a rage toward It's a cliche to say that affects you more than it affects them. But think of it. They don't know uh, that you're uh, enraged. As far as they're concerned, they're having a drink someplace and having a good time. You're the one that's enraged. And you're the one that's going to suffer from those negative emotions physically. Uh, uh, Being angry, uh, uh, which has served a purpose, but if you're angry all the time at something, then it's going to affect you physically. So the, then the person you're angry at uh, has a victory. Get rid of the anger. Just logically talk to yourself. Get rid of the anger. There's no point in being angry at somebody for a length of time. Either work it out, come to grips with it, ignore it, do something to get to get to, to, to loosen those feelings because, they do no harm to anybody else but yourself.
2: Mr. Shatner, it is always a treat to talk with you. It's a great honor. You know what a fan I am of you and your work. I'm so glad that you're so busy because we get to enjoy the benefits of your labor. Hope everybody checks out Boldly Go. I will look forward to hearing that song with Yo-Yo Ma, and hopefully we get to chat again before you're a hologram.
10: I would look forward to it. Take care and thank you for talking to you. Thank you.
2: If you want to comment on any portion of my discussion with William Shatner, you can give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. 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 It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You're not like the rest, And I nodded. No one understands me,
8: you said. And I nodded once again, as if to agree that all men are indeed the same. Somehow, you said, I was different.
2: This is uh, In Love, Ben Folds and William Shatner, a terrific terrific song. I, I can't tell you when I first got this CD, it's from the album Fear of Pop Volume 1. I This was the first CD I ever had that caused me to discover that you could just play a track on repeat. And I would just listen over and over again to this same track. And, and it would just repeat for hours. Hours on end. Um, that's how great the song is. And the lyrics are just phenomenal. Alright. I'm um, going to take your calls in just a minute, 800 848 You know who's here? Jackie Mason's daughter, Sheba, who um, I normally would not refer to someone who's such an accomplished comic as so-and-so's daughter or so-and-so's son or whatever. But uh, she is the – she's starring in Jackie Mason the musical, which is really interesting. We're going to tell you about that next hour. I'm excited that she's in studio. And she took some coaxing to come in here live, uh, but I'm glad that she did, so we're going to have some fun. 800-848-9222. I went to go see my sister yesterday because she finished the marathon. Really so proud of her and my brother. And you know what? They're both doing it again next year. And I, my sister couldn't walk when I saw her. She lost four toenails. Off! Off! And you can imagine how painful that is. Her back is hurting her, and she's waiting. She's all set to do it again next year. Her friend that she ran the, she ran the marathon with two friends and her friend, Julia started out with her and they all started out together and it was hot on Sunday. And I, and I know Julia, she's, you know, a healthy young woman, great athlete. And they all started running. And I guess around mile, I don't know, five or six, there's three of them. Claudia is my sister, Julia and Mia, Claudia and Mia, Begin to sense that they're getting, that this is getting to them, that they're overheating. So they said, All right, we're going to slow down a little bit. Julia didn't slow down. So by the 25th mile of this marathon, Julia collapsed. She woke up screaming in the medical tent because she thought that she had died. She had to be hospitalized. She was hospitalized with a 105 degree fever because her kidneys were failing. And uh, thankfully, she's out of the hospital now. She's going to be okay. But you have to wonder. It's amazing to me that people want to do this. And uh, uh, Claudia was quick to mention that Julia does not yet have a completed marathon under her belt. And that's how runners are. They're brutal. I think Julia actually had uh, runners' sneaker tracks on her back. All right, Very quickly here. Clarence is in Queens. Hello, Clarence.
13: Right, Frank, how you doing it was a great interview you did with William Shatner the only thing is I think that he's totally off when it comes to the
2: climate change issue uh because like what is man going to uh, all right I lost you, you there uh, yeah I'm, you're breaking up there Clarence if you want to call back later no. you can't yeah you're, I'm lost you the Clarence if you want to call back later you can uh but I get I get that you disagreed with him we'll talk about that later if you like Hey, Sheba Mason is here. Very excited to talk with her. Until next hour, in the words of Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat, spayed, or neutered.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: There are many great stand up comics. And uh, there are many great stand up comics that have graced stages, movie screens, television screens in the 20th century. However, there's few that you can immediately recognize when almost anyone does an impersonation of them. And one was someone that uh, lived and entertained audiences in New York, around the country, around the world, quite frankly, until just recently when he passed away last year. I'm talking, of course, about legendary comedic performer Jackie Mason, who, in addition to his prowess as a stand-up comic, was ubiquitous on talk shows ranging from the Joe Franklin Show to the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson.
1: Would you have
8: thought over a year ago, when you, when you were opening here at the, uh, was it the Cannon Theater, the Beverly Cannon Theater? Right. And I remember you were apprehensive about it. Because you know, right. you, uh, you'd you been sitting around for a few years
1: and hadn't worked that much, and you came out here and it was a big hit here. Then you go to New York, and a it's bigger a, hit in New York.
8: It's the biggest sensation in the whole history of New York, I don't think, you, in the history of the world, there's been ever such a hit show. <laughs> uh, this is the standing room only every single night, and sometimes it's even when the show is on. Uh, <laughs> It's a phenomenal, unbelievable experience. There was no way that I could have ever dreamed this up. If In my wildest dreams, when you dream about becoming a star, you always think maybe you'll be... uh, You don't know what you'll be. You'll be working at least. You'll be performing somewhere. You'll be a hit somehow. But who dreams of being a one-man show hit on Broadway in such dimensions that it's impossible to get in there? I'm a bigger hit than every show. (laughs) 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 They want to close every other show on Broadway because nobody's going anyplace else. The whole... Everybody's getting out of business. You're the only guy I'm not competing with. (laughs) Because I want to help you out. I don't want to talk with an accent on your show. Because I know it's correct. Because there's no room for Gentiles in this country anymore. (laughs)
2: That is, of course, the great Jackie Mason talking with uh, the inimitable Johnny Carson, two legends in the comic world, both gone. Well, now you can relive uh, some aspects of Jackie Mason's life and his career as part of the Jackie Mason musical, which has had great reviews. All over New York, all over the country, and now is showing at Caroline's Comedy Club as part of the New York Comedy Festival. And I am just thrilled that we have two of the stars of that musical, uh, Ian Worley, who plays Jackie Mason, and Sheba Mason, who coincidentally happens to have the same name as the subject of this uh, particular show, uh, Ian Sheba, thanks so much for coming here in the middle of the night or the middle of the morning.
14: Well, thank you so much for having us. You know, we're wired. we're
2: Love it. Yeah. Hyper caffeinated. Right,
0: <laughs> Ian? It's a pleasure to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. I was told it was going to be a wonderful pleasure. I'm happy to be here. But I have to tell you, I have to be leaving right now because it turns out. I have the winning Powerball number. It's right here. I won it tonight. I'm going to Las Vegas right now. I'm going to get some hookers and blow. It's going to be a fantastic time. I want
2: you all to come with me. I'll let people guess which character Ian is playing in the <laughs> Jackie Mason musical. Uh, Sheba, for people that, that don't know, you're a very talented comic in your own right. You've been performing in uh, in New York and elsewhere for a long time. And you happen to be the, the daughter of Jackie Mason, right?
14: I am the daughter, yeah. And, you know... People look at my face. They say, I say, to tell you the truth, with a face like this, who else could I be? <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, um, I, I, I don't want to unearth any uh, uncomfortable uh, family history, but it's pretty well unearthed in this musical. Um, you and, and Jackie, even though you use the name Mason, you guys didn't exactly have the closest familial relationship, did you?
14: Well, he was with my mother for 10 years, as uh, shown in the play, and then... Um, He wasn't. (laughs) But before he died, our relationship was getting a lot better. We were getting a lot closer. I like to tell people, you know, he saw me on the street and he actually recognized me. (laughs) And I knew he recognized me because the minute he saw me, he ran the other way. (laughs)
2: So you chose a career in comedy, even though, you know, I guess if you were viewing Jackie as a father, objectively, he'd get pretty poor reviews. And I could see a lot of... uh, Children sort of rebelling against what their uh, parents' chosen profession was if they didn't have exactly a, a loving parentage with them. You still chose comedy?
14: You know, that's a good question. Freud
2: would have had a field day with you, I'm sure. <laughs>
14: yes, yeah, so a lot of people would have sent me to therapy. Um, but he, actually, comedy chose me. You know, I don't know if it's a combination of, you know, it, it, it just chose me. So, um, Frankie. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. When I was when I was a little girl, um uh so my mother is, has always been a playwright. So I was always like in theater and, and that, that was that aspect was always fostered, you know, singing and dancing and being in plays and stuff. And then I met comedian Frankie Mann, who's now passed away. He had an act in the condo circuit. I don't know if you know about the South Florida condo circuit. No, tell me about it. So the South Florida Condo Circuit is um a very unique um planet. Uh it's got it's it's a, a lot of, like, 55 and over communities that have these gigantic theaters that seat, like, you know, a 1,000 or 2,000 people, a lot of them. And, you know, you perform, and, like, they have acts there. They're not, they're not sickly people. They're just older people. And this was back when I was eight, um, you know, so only about two years ago. <laughs> and so I joined his act, and uh, he would bring me on stage, and I would have some patter with him. And he was an impersonator in his own right. He impersonated Jackie Mason and a bunch of other people. Um, and so that was, like, my first real taste of show business, was doing that from the time it was like 7 or 8 and then it continued on. Got
2: it. So you uh, this performing is no is nothing new to you. Uh, tell me about the Jackie Mason musical. People can learn more about it. They can even get tickets at com. and there's a special deal for our listeners. So uh, people should take advantage of that. It's thejackiemasonmusical.com. Um uh, where did the idea to do this musical come from? And you wrote it, right?
14: Well, my mother wrote it. Mm-hmm. She wrote all the music except for this except for one song. She wrote the whole thing. So it all started she had been she was just a regular girl, you know, from Long Island, New Jersey. She had moved to Florida and they were there for three days, her and her mother, and they were in Wolfie's Delicatessen in Miami Beach. And Jackie is sitting in the same place and he sends somebody over to the table. He says, you want to meet Jackie Mason? And my grandmother was very dominating Jewish woman. She says, of course she would. Certainly. (laughs) So they come over to the table and he says, so hello, hello. Are you in my love? Me a long time. And she says, well, Jackie, we moved here three days ago. I love your acting. I have always been a great fan of yours. And he says, you're no dummy. And then he said, every time I ask her a question, the answer comes out of your mouth. She must be a ventriloquist. <laughs> you know? So um, that's how they started dating. And my mother was with him for only three years when she wrote a very early incarnation of the play. Huh. And it incorporated this song called Today, Tomorrow, Next Year because she would see him whenever he was in town. You know, because he was seeing a lot of other people. Sure. But she was like special. He would always come back to her.
2: And um, so you play your mom in the show. Yes. And
14: or... believe me, psychologists have a field day with oh, the Oh, I show.
2: can imagine. I
14: play my mom, so I get pregnant with myself. As... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Ian, how
2: how long have you been playing Jackie in Jackie Mason the musical? It's been ten years. This is the ten
0: year anniversary of my participation with the uh, with the group, and it's it's uh, it been an absolute field day. But uh, no, I was just a, a guy working at a desk job in 2012, and I said, you know what? I'm in New York City. What am I here for? I'm here to be in entertainment. I'm going to do it. So I quit the desk job. I looked online, saw this is the first literally the first ad that I saw on ActorsAccess.com it was for the Jackie Mason musical. I saw a picture of her. I heard a little bit of a, a shtick from it on YouTube, and I said, you know what? I was built for this. That's <laughs> terrific.
2: Now, I, obviously, uh, you know, since Jackie only passed away uh, last year, and he was in New York at the time you were in New York, very, very possible your paths may have crossed, did they?
0: I will tell you they did. It was after I was already involved in the show. It was about uh, three months into it, and I'm down at the Westway uh, Diner over on 42nd and 9th. And I see him because everyone sees him in New York. Sure. The guy's a New York icon. He's always around. You see him at the diners and the delicatessens. But I, I say, you know what? I was uh, 29 at the time, and I said, this is my opportunity. I have to go up to him. I have to see him. I have to say something to him. And I did, and I and I stopped. by. He was getting himself a coffee or something. I, I stepped behind him. I say, Uh, Mr. Mason, Mr. Mason. He goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. He goes, oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I said, uh, and and I, I'm working on a show with, with with your daughter Sheba, and he and he like <laughs> pulls me aside. He, he just he just uh, it, it changes in that moment. He pulls me aside and he says. You shouldn't get yourself involved with family situations. You would have gotten telling <laughs> and he really like reamed me out, and it shook me. It just shook me, um, uh, emo- you know, emotionally. I wasn't sure how to handle it. But anyway, that was my interaction, and uh, I walked away knowing the man that I was playing better. <laughs>
2: that, that, that is very funny and very sad at the same time. Uh, Shiba, I, you know, I remember when years ago, uh, seventeen years ago or so, you, you would occasionally perform at uh, Joe Franklin's comedy club. Yes. and I remember Joe would would tell me that your dad would take issue with the fact that you used the name Mason, right? Uh, I can't
14: believe you remember the Joe Franklin era. I used to run a show there. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I,
2: I, absol- I think I, I saw you perform there, and, and wow. uh, you were you were terrific even back then. Aww. But did that... I mean, honestly, and I know you maybe don't want to delve into this too much, but does that hurt you when somebody that you look up to so much as a comedic figure is so disappointing on a personal level?
14: Well, you know, he... he- I mean, I have his last name. There was a blood test taken when I was a baby. Um, my mother went through a very painful period. I can imagine. Um, but he did pay child support till I was 18. Um, and sure, it hurts, for sure. But what are you going to do? You, you you, know, it hurt, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I suppress it or what I do. But, like, I'm able to just look at him as a figure instead of... Like feeling that sort of attachment.
2: If people are maybe a little younger and miss the heyday of Jackie Mason as a performer or a personality, he was uh, ubiquitous on uh, television and in New York for a long time. In fact, he even toyed with the idea 30 years ago of running for public advocate. And uh, I actually when I interviewed him about five years ago, that was one of the things that I asked him about running for public advocate. Here's a little bit of uh, an interview that I did with Jackie five years ago. Do you ever think about running for public advocate or getting back involved in electoral politics in New York City, Jackie?
8: No, I was doing that at that time as a joke. I never expected to actually campaign, and I never did. I did, I did it as a, as a publicity stunt. I figure nobody will be hurt if I make up a story that I'm running for something. Nobody's going to care that much, and nobody's going nobody's gonna to run through the streets expending any energy or time or money. I wasn't collecting any cash from anybody, so I wasn't defrauding anybody like de Blasio does on a daily basis. Do you know he's under about 17 investigations? Al
4: Capone.
15: Was
4: never investigated as much as he is. He's still hysterical. Oh still, my gosh!
15: So great.
14: funny. How would you
2: uh, describe or characterize his comedy? To someone that's unfamiliar with Jackie Mason, it, because when I listen to him, it's almost like he's not even really telling jokes. It's almost like one long comedic rant.
14: Well, I could tell you from what I hear from my mother, I mean, he was like a really naturally funny person. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the old adage, you could read the ingredients on a Coke bottle. I mean, he was so funny, just all the time. Really funny, really witty. You know, just boom, boom, like nonstop. And it wasn't like he was on in an obnoxious way. That's just naturally him and his syntax.
2: Did you have a Jackie Mason impersonation down before you started playing Jackie in the show or did you develop it when you got the part?
0: Well, I've been asked that before and uh, I I, I, I attribute it to uh, just the lovely time I had – spent as a child at a conservative temple you know and just listening to the voices that were around me and his whole shtick is talking about uh, you know the, the unique idiosyncrasies of the, of of his people the jewish community right and uh, and i remember really appreciating that as a, as a kid and having my own bar mitzvah and, and going through that process and uh, and these are my people too so it's uh, it's it's all done with warmth and love and uh, and we love our people and we love our culture and uh, we love to uh, to make fun of each other in, in
2: lighthearted beautiful ways well no that's uh, that's terrific here is a clip from Jim- Jackie Mason, the musical.
5: Until this loser returns to my daughter, may he feel nauseous, may he feel sick, may he get a boil on his long, hard toe. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so
14: that's a seance that they... Re- <laughs> so that's like a... It's, it's a funny scene. Um, you know, in, this, in the play, she indicates long, hard, you know, obviously. Sure. Yeah. I guess you could get that. Yeah. But anyway, so... <laughs> So my mother and grandmother used to do seances, you know. They Even wanted while Jackie to was alive? Well, they wanted him to come. It wasn't quite a seance. It was more like getting him to return. This was, you know, before she was pregnant.
2: Got it. Got it. Now, um, how, you know, your mother, your mother, and people could see some of these clips on the website, com. She talked about her relationship uh, with Jackie Mason. Here's your mom, uh, Ginger Ginger Ryder.
14: Everybody goes through a love affair and they all hurt. And I'm lucky because I can write about it and sing about it and have people do it. And it's in a way, it's very nice. In another way, it's like I'm never able to absolutely forget him and the love I had for him because I see it every night in the show. Uh,
2: The show has been called Astonishing. The show has been called Hilarious. And uh, not just by people in this room, but uh, critics and audiences have really enjoyed it. And now it's at Caroline's. It's part of the New York Comedy Festival.
14: Yep. Yeah, it was the only musical asked to be part of the festival. So wow. I'm really excited about that. Wow.
2: And um, so it's performing this coming weekend, and it's, uh, it's performing at Caroline's, I guess, until the 20th, right? Yes. So yes. people can get... It's a get,
14: possible extension. Yeah,
2: people can get tickets at the Jackiemasonmusical.com. So basically, the story behind the show, it deals with your mother, played by you, and her courtship of Jackie Mason, and their, the aftermath of, of their relationship, which is the real you.
14: Right, so basically it focuses on the time they met until the time I was basically born. So, um, you know, it's it's really written from love and from humor, and there's not, you know, she even taught me as a kid, like, not to resent him at all, just to sort of appreciate that this is my gene pool. A lot of people have absentee fathers, mm-hmm. you know? Um, in my family, it happens a lot, I guess, because we come from a long line of whores. But, <laughs> all right, so... Um, <laughs> I have this joke in my act that um, you know, my when my mother, her she didn't know her father. When she turned eighteen, her father died, and then she instantly got a full scholarship to college. And she thinks that as a spirit, because she's spiritual, he did something that got her full scholarship to college. She doesn't at all attribute it to the fact that she was fooling around with the head financial aid advisor. (laughs)
2: <laughs> We're talking with uh, Sheba Mason and Ian Worley. You can see them both in the uh, Jackie Mason musical. You get tickets at thejackiemasonmusical.com, and uh, you can see Sheba perform regularly. You can check out her website, shebamason.com. <laughs> Ian, when you play someone that's a real-life figure like Jackie Mason, who so many people already have an image of, it's not like you're crafting an image in people's brains for the first time of a character you create. You have to live up to an image of somebody that that uh, people have been watching on television and seeing in stage for 60 years in some cases. What is the greatest challenge when you play someone like uh, a real-life person like Jackie Mason?
0: I've got to say, uh, you know, I'm not an, an impersonator. I'm not a guy that does this a lot, but this was a character that I, I – you know, I, I just – I knew him. I knew him as a comedian, and I knew his personality and 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 that it was something I could connect with. But I think the, the – the real crux of it is being able to rationalize on a human level who it is that you are portraying and what they are going through and how it pertains to your life i i also came from a, a family with a, an absentee uh, t father so the 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 catharsis of this show for me playing that role is to really understand what goes through a person's uh, uh, emotional spiritual state to provoke the need of separation from the child
2: that you bore. Bored. If uh, people want to see the show, uh, it's uh, the com. Tell me about the song uh, that we're going to play. It's called Early Bird. Uh, what's going on in the show uh, when this song is delivered?
14: Sure. So um, this is about, you know, a couple of years into the relationship. She, she always likened it to Alice in Wonderland. You know, like Alice is like just this regular person and all these crazy things are going on around her. So Jackie... Would hang around all these people, celebrities, other, you know. He always had an entourage, and he would go from coffee shop to coffee shop, you know, with these characters. There were always people surrounding him, and so she like wrote this song, "Ode to the Early Bird Special," you know, because they would go from deli to deli with, you know, he loved his vices were pastrami and women, you know, and so this is in this scene, it's a really, um, you know, we have a dance and it's it's a big chorus number.
2: I I can imagine. Uh, It this is a little bit of. Early Bird from the Jackie Mason musical. Got it. Let's go to the Rascal House. If we really rush, we can still make the Early Bird
14: special. The Early Bird special? What's that?
7: <laughs> Welcome to the Rascal House. Today's special is chicken frickin' bean, chicken frickin' or frickin' chicken. You get your choice of two vegetables, jello or rice pudding, and a beverage, all oh, for $4.95.
3: Your plate, the plates, the pickles, and the pumpkin rolls, Butter is included, but you better not be late or you'll pay an extra dollar ninety-eight. You can have a choice of carrots or peas if you dine in the early afternoon. They give you a fork and a knife if you please, but it's two dollars extra.
1: Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
5: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank, Marano. Frank Marano.
11: Now I've
13: the time of my
1: life. No, i never felt like this before. Yes, I swear, it's a truth. And I'll it all to you
4: Because I
1: can't.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank I'm Frank Morano. Very, very pleased to be joined in studio by Sheba Mason, uh, who happens to be the daughter of Jackie Mason, and Ian Worley, who's playing Jackie Mason in the Jackie Mason musical, which is uh, has shown all over the country but is currently showing here in New York. You can get tickets at the com. Special deal for listeners of our radio show. If you want to call in, by the way, and ask a question to either Sheba or Ian, uh, you're welcome to do so at 8- 800 That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, Sheba uh, if you are someone that's not familiar with Jackie Mason as a character or as a comic, would you still like this show?
14: Well, yes. I hope that that's that's really kind of the goal. Um, like, for example, the Buddy Holly story is tours around. You know, who, no one really knows who he is anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> so, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, people who their twenties have no idea. Fair here. enough. They yeah. don't even know who the Beatles are. Well, but, you know.
2: well it's, a couple of them still know the <laughs> yeah. Beatles, but uh.
14: <laughs> but you know, like really, what it boils down to is a love story. It's a love story. It's there's it's funny, and um, you know, it's it's a it's it's a true story. So it's like, you know, like if you didn't know who Aretha Franklin was and you saw the movie, it's, you know, right now there's a Neil Diamond, you know, sure. just, so it's kind of like that. It's like it's really just a slice of life.
2: If um, now I know you said your mom wrote the show, did she write the music as well? She wrote the music. That's yeah. really impressive. Uh, there's some terrific music in this. We're going to play one more song in just a minute. And in terms of um, what makes Jackie so relatable, now obviously, when you hear stories about, you know, um, Absentee fathers—it's very easy to view those people as villains, right? In this show, uh you're playing Jackie Ian. Uh, are you somebody that the audience roots for or against? Hmm.
0: Well, I think it's both. I think you see him uh in the first act. He establishes himself as this lovable character, this wonderful, funny, irreverent, wild loon. You know that that you can't not fall in love with. We do some shtick from his act. Um, uh at, at live at the opera house in london and so you really get a taste for it and uh, fortunately the audience is uh, 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 you know you hear from the audiences their laughter and their cackling and, and they're there to enjoy jackie mason on stage um in the second act you, you you get deeper you just get deeper into who the character is and and how what the struggle is that he goes through in this whole process i, I don't think it demonizes him i don't think it shuns him in any way but i think it it it, it portrays a character that is complex, that's sophisticated,
2: like we all are. Mm. You know, the thing that's amazing to me about Jackie Mason is in entertainment... It's so difficult to have uh, longevity, right? I mean, as a comic, if you can work at any portion of your life and make a living from stand-up comedy, that's incredible. But to be able to do it for decades and have all these different audiences in different eras want to see you for decades, it's incredible. I mean, how many people can say they went on Ed Sullivan and then went on Conan O'Brien?
8: And that's why the show is such a sensation, because, because you, people are desperate to find somebody who has the guts to tell the truth, because mm-hmm. everybody is intimidated today, and everybody is nervous and frightened, and I told the truth about everything that's happening in this country. And of course, if without laughs, I wouldn't do it. Everything is a punchline, <laughs> and everything is, a, is, is hilarious. That's why it's such a phenomenal hit. It's hilarious, I, yes. I, there's, no, it's almost, there's no room for me even to get into the building. <laughs> I'm doing the show from across the street. You can't get it.
16: <laughs> what, about, uh, what about, say, like the Menendez brothers? What's your take on that?
8: Oh, anybody who has a take on that. Why are people going for a walk here? I'm a hit. <laughs> Settle down back what there. Is what why, right. is it? What kind of a schmuck walks around yeah. in the middle of my. <laughs> Nazi bastards. <system. laughs> Settle down, you, you guys. See, I told you when you're short and Jewish, everybody disrespects you. They walk around. Are you a Gentile, mister? <laughs> Talk out before I wrap you in a Come on, let's hear it. Get out get, out, get out. That's he's got to work
5: the camera. All right, leave him alone. Okay. he's out tomorrow.
8: See that? Now he's picking on me. I'm See? waiting for nothing, and I'm taking abuse over. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Benetts brothers. Um, there's nobody lower on this site, even this cameraman. Nobody. <laughs> there's nobody lower. There's nobody lower on this earth than the Benetts brothers, and it's a sad reflection on our whole country that two vicious. I shouldn't say bastards because that's bad taste. You're not supposed to say that, right? Go
16: ahead. Go ahead. It's yeah. Terms of changed. Bastards.
8: Yeah. Two low-life bastards like that could get away with killing their own parents and somehow they get a hung jury. They should be hung first, then the jury should come. in. <laughs> now, Sheba, you
2: never included that in your comedy. Any elements of uh, you know of fantasizing about patricide or anything like that, right?
14: <laughs> no, <laughs> but I will tell you, like, you know, the way he speaks, like everybody's a Nazi bastard, and right. son of a bitch. That's very much in the play. Like uh, she completely captures his essence. People have said that. A lot. Uh,
2: well, no, I can't wait to see this show. I, I am. Uh, I'm amazed that I haven't already. And by the way, if you want to see <laughs> if you want to see uh, Sheba, you could see her at Sheba's Speakeasy Comedy Club at the Three Monkeys, uh, which is on West 54th Street here in Manhattan. Again, you can learn more at uh, com. Would you characterize him, if not as a paternal influence, would you characterize him as a comedic influence on you?
14: I mean, for sure, comedic influence. I mean, if, 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 if I was completely impartial and I just saw him perform, I mean, I have to say he's the funniest of the funny. I mean, I just can't tell you that any comedian makes me laugh as hard as him, mm. you know, totally being impartial. Um no influence on in me whatsoever, a father. But uh, no, he was—I mean, he was really, really funny. You know, just one of the best. i, I don't know who's better.
2: Yeah, I would—I yeah, would, uh, would certainly—I uh, would certainly agree. Ian, when you have heard from people that were fans of Jackie's, and obviously you guys are putting on a a warts and all depiction of Jackie as a performer and as a person, what kind of feedback do you hear from Jackie Mason fans? Are they upset that you've shattered the image about their hero? Or is there more – Or is it, what else?
0: What, what, what do you hear? In no way whatsoever. I, 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 that's not the I, – I don't think we've ever had that reaction where people are upset with the portrayal. In fact, yes, uh, Sunday when we just did the show, there was a, a, a young fellow, um, uh, a conservative Jew, uh, who came, brought his girlfriend uh, for her birthday. Uh, she was not a fan. He was a fan. But he brought her to his favorite comedian hmm. for her birthday. Anyhow, he, he came up afterwards, and he was thrilled. He was absolutely thrilled. He wants to take pictures with us. He'd been listening to Jackie Mason since he was five years old, and uh, and he loved it. He just thought it was fantastic. He was one of the best laughers
2: in the whole audience, too. So many of the people that have followed Jackie's career since the 60s uh, always uh, focus on the, infinite, the incident on the Ed Sullivan show back in 1964. And uh, this is an integral part of the show. And uh, if people are not familiar with this, I think you guys are going to tell us the story a little bit more in song. But it was speculated that uh, Jackie may have given Ed Sullivan, who was such a legend in television and comedy and can make or break careers – might have actually given him the the middle finger. Now, um, do you have a, a take on the middle finger theory? Because Jackie and I asked him about this a couple of times. He always said that it didn't happen. Uh, do you believe that it did?
14: No. So it, it 100%, he did not give him the finger. And this next song is going to explain what happened. But um, basically... You know, when you're a comedian, you practice your exact five minutes for, for like, you know, the Tonight Show, the Sullivan Show. You know exactly what jokes you're going to do. So right in the middle of his act, they started waving him off and he was confused. They were using I don't know why I'm doing this on the radio, <laughs> but they were waving him off. And he thumbed his nose, which you'll hear in the song, like because he was so confused. He was like, what are they like teasing me? I don't know what's going on. And it was misconstrued as the finger. And it set him back, like, 20 years, his career. But, you know, technically, I never would have been born if that didn't happen. Because, Thank goodness, right? I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. <But> so- <laughs> I'm going to have you guys sing uh, this, is, this Is The Finger mm. from uh, the Jackie Mason Musical, which, again, we would encourage folks to get uh, tickets. Special deal for our listeners, thejackiemasonmusical.com. Uh, this is The Finger.
0: How was I to know that Lyndon Johnson would be preempting me in the middle of my act? On that night 12 years ago, when I was on The Sullivan Show, so young and bright, my future so secure. How was I supposed to know he'd interrupt my act mid show? I watched my heartfelt dreams fly out the door. Ed stood right there on the side. He held his fingers up in stride, motioning for me to cut my act. All I knew he was distracting I was merely just reacting With two fingers up And this I swear is true Then what did he do? He misconstrued misconstrued? The finger that I used One very public moment One
14: mistake I'm
0: clawing my way back Like every other hack But any moment I can feel My next big break
14: you mean he went like this and then you went like that? No, that's something I would never, ever do
0: I merely struck a puzzle, pose and thumbed some fingers from my nose It was vivid, he was livid, never thought I'd live to see another day How loose! He, he misconstrued The finger that I used One very public moment, one mistake Oh no! i drawing my way back like every other hack But any moment I can feel my next big break just as long as you don't make one more mistake. He canceled all of my shows. My reputation was ruined. I took him to court to prove that I never did anything obscene. Two years later, he apologized to me on the TV. But at that point, everyone knew me as the guy that infuriated Ed Sullivan. My career was in the toilet. My next big break!
2: Oh, my goodness. That is phenomenal. That is terrific. I feel like I don't even need to see the show now that I just got a uh, in-person performance. That was phenomenal. That's great.
14: He actually wrote that one song in the show because he felt so strongly about that topic. Oh, in, yeah. He did. That's great. Yeah. That's
2: tremendous.
14: And uh, by the way, so and uh, it is
2: true. Jackie did file a libel suit. And he did get his n- name cleared. He w- did sue Sullivan on the grounds that uh, Sullivan had defamed him, right?
14: He did, but by then it was, like, a little late. But, you know, as you know, he still climbed back up. He's a fighter. Like you said, he was on the Sullivan Show, and then years later, the Co- you know Conan Show. Yeah. You know, I mean, and Jimmy Kimmel and all that stuff. So he was, like, really clawed, like like the song says. Uh,
2: that is wild. Uh, stick around for a few more minutes, if you guys don't mind. If you want to talk with either Sheba Mason or uh, Ian Worley, you can give us a call 800 848 or uh if you want to see the show and more songs like uh like the finger you can uh, get tickets at the It's performing this sunday and uh performing in t- it's it's performing at the New York Comedy Club until the 20th and then i'm sure there'll be other showing oh excuse me what i said uh, i said it's the New York Comedy Festival at <laughs> Caroline's Comedy Club and uh if you want to get tickets you could check it out the 800 848 Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. this is the other side of midnight straight ahead This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, we're talking with uh, Sheema Mason and Ian Worley. Uh, they're currently starring in the Jackie Mason musical. Uh, Jackie, of course, a legendary comedic performer and uh, somebody that was very outspoken about uh, his his views on everything, including including politics. Uh, he had become uh, very much sort of the go-to conservative comedian over the course of the last 25 years or so. Um, did did you share or differ from his political views? If you want to, if if you even want to say, I don't uh, to to twist your arm a lot of comedians don't like to say what their what their views are but I'm just I'm curious
14: well what I will say is that he was kind of like one of the first victims of cancel culture mm-hmm. you know with the Ed Sullivan thing mm-hmm. he was really like you know like when a, in fact I met Louis C.K. And Louis C.K. actually did my show at the Three Monkeys one. Post-scandal? You met him? Post-scandal. Well, interesting. And he was saying to me, he said, you know, in a way, I'm a lot like your father. You know, like, I was kind of a victim of cancel culture, too. And I was like, well, both things have to do with fingers. But <laughs> I, don't know if- I don't know if they're quite exactly the same. So that doesn't answer your question. but <laughs> uh, Okay, well, I, I, I,
2: it is answered by the omission. 800 9222 Jim is in Baltimore. Hello, Jim.
17: Yeah. Hey, Frank, just the same, Jim, last week did that uh, game with you the first time.
2: Well, it's I'm great out. to have you back, Jim. I've been wondering where you've been.
17: Not sure you have. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I am out. I'm a candidate for delegate in uh, Maryland. And so I'm out here putting up my yard signs at all the various polling places. And I've been listening to you guys. And, you know, Jackie Mason had that Didn't he have a show called Politically Incorrect?
2: Well, that wasn't his show, though, right? I mean, I know that was this Bill Maher's show.
17: Yeah, Bill Maher came on later, but Jackie Mason kind of coined that phrase. And at the very same time, I had created a T-shirt, and on the front it said Politically Incorrect, and on the back it said Free Minds, Free Markets, Free Society. And I sold that thing all over the country. I mean, it was People would would buy it off my back.
2: Uh, Well, you know, actually, Jim, I I just did look this up. He did have one of his Broadway shows. His Broadway show. Was politically incorrect, so uh, you are right. Hey, uh, Jim, best of luck uh, to you in the election today. I have no idea what your politics are or what you believe in, but the fact that you listen to this show, you should be elected to anything that you're running
3: for, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Good luck. Appreciate you listening. Good luck today.
2: 800-848-9222. And it's funny. I know you mentioned that your mom, uh, Ginger, always encouraged you not to have resentment uh, towards your father. A lot of times it's easy to say for someone else not to do that. Did she herself have any sort of resentment when she'd see him on television or anything like that? Did she resent him for not playing more of a role in your life?
14: I think later on, um, she wished that he played more of a role in my life regarding her own hurt. uh, You know, she just was like really genuinely in love with this guy Mm. and like. I think when you love somebody so much, it's, like, hard to be angry. It's more like you just miss them. Oh, sure. You know, and, like, his manager was extremely influential in their demise.
2: uh, Jill? Who it was, Jill, yeah. right? Okay, and uh, most people believe there was uh, something more to their relationship oh, yeah. than simply uh, her being uh, being Jackie's manager. And I, and I got to meet Jill when he would fill in on the radio, and uh, it was it was clear they had a very very unique relationship. I think that's the the best way uh, the best way to put it. Speaking of Ed Sullivan, uh, here is uh, Jackie Mason on uh, the Ed Sullivan Show back in the nineteen sixties. I came
8: here as a personal favor because I know how important it is to you to see me tonight? Because I'm one of the few people who are dedicated to humanitarian purposes. I'm one of the few people on this side who was not in show business for the money. Most people do everything for money. To me, money is nothing. I never made a living and I got used to it. <laughs> Let's be honest about it. Money doesn't make you happy. It never could. I know a guy lives in a house without a sink, without hot water, without a ceiling. Got nothing. But he's happy. You know why? Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That joke, mister. <laughs> well, this is important to realize, especially in a time like this when everybody thinks money is more important than everything. I learned this from my grandfather. My grandfather taught me something before he passed away that I never forgot, and I think you should all remember it, especially this guy in the front that don't look like too intelligent of a <laughs> You ought to remember this. What do you do for a living? Are you a doctor, mister? You look like some kind of a thief. I just don't know what. Then. <laughs> I don't call doctors thieves, but let's be honest about it. We know that doctors can be trusted. They know it themselves. They know it. Why do you think when a doctor operates, he wears a mask? He don't want you to see who's doing the whole thing. (laughs) That's why they wear gloves. You think the gloves are for sanitary reasons? Fingerprints. (laughs) Uh, If
2: you had to pick... Sheba, uh, what would you say your favorite Jackie Basin movie was? He was in a lot of very good films. The Jerk, uh, History of the World Part 1, a lot of very not so great films uh, as well over the years. If you had to pick a, a favorite, what would it be?
14: I mean, he was really funny as a gas station attendant. Yeah, the Jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was. That
2: interaction with Steve Martin is uh, is classic. So is that your pick? I would it?
14: have to say that's my pick. Did you ever see the video of him with Dean Martin when he's doing his hair?
2: I don't think I did, no. Really funny. W- w- is that on YouTube?
14: Yeah, it's like, it's like a brief video.
2: Well, and no, that's well, Ian, when you're doing homework to play someone like Jackie Mason, do you go back and review all of his work, watch the movies, go on the YouTube and watch some of these clips of him doing stand-up? Or how, what goes into your craft of uh, recreating a performer like Jackie Mason?
0: I think you do. I think with him, it's 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 the beats and the timing and the and the and the pulses and the pitch and you got to make sure you put the thing and the with the got to go with you. Know, who's this guy? What are you doing? You about to find the the once you get that rhythm and that beat and that pulse and that that, that it doesn't matter what you say. Mm-hmm.
16: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Eight hundred eight
2: four eight nine two two two. Joe is in
16: Queens. Uh, Joe, you're on with uh,
2: Ian Worley and Sheba Mason.
16: Yeah. Hello. Yeah, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that you know. He seemed to me like he wasn't below the belt or biting, despite being a rogue and hard hitting at times.
18: You know what I mean? But
16: I, it, it seemed like he hit hit a
19: fine line there.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, how would you guys uh, answer that?
19: It, it,
0: it taste. He has taste. He's yeah. a, he's a man of taste, you know. And and would he, would he be a little crass sometimes? Sure, but that's all part of the fun and the game mm-hmm. of it. But but you're right. He wasn't he wasn't he wasn't himself necessarily comedically p- portraying a jerk. He was portraying a a uh, 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 smart-ass.
2: 848 <laughs> I know he had been a cantor and I think was the descendant of uh, a long line of, uh, of cantors. I'm, I'm sure both of you have probably spent a lot of time thinking about his journey psychologically. What do you think drove him from being, that, uh, being in that strict, orthodox Jewish world to not only the world of comedy, but somebody that really seemed to enjoy... Being a comedic star, enjoyed me- going on the road and meeting women and uh, enjoyed the the rider that came at performing at high-profile places and getting to know celebrities and go on t- talk shows. Great question. Oh. Doesn't sound like there's much of a comparison. <laughs> <laughs>
14: Well, when he was a rabbi, you know, and he would give a sermon, he started to make jokes within the sermon. He told this story to my mother. And that's how I know. And um, he would, like, start making jokes. And then he started really making more jokes during his sermon. And he was really, really funny and he enjoyed all the laughter. And then, you know, with laughter comes women.
2: Now that This is true. 800 848 Gene is in the Bronx. Hello, Gene.
12: Uh, good evening, Frank. Good evening. Uh, I met Jackie Mason. I know him. I met him on the street on fifty fifth and second Avenue well, in Manhattan. That means you already street. knew him better
2: than Sheba did.
12: <laughs> well I did my you know why I know my brother was a stand-up comic also. And Mickey Mobbed and he passed away, but he was a stand-up comic in the mountains all the time. But I met Jackie and he knew him well very well also. I met him on the street and I said, Jackie, and he saw me I says, Tell me a joke. You know what he said? He thought for a moment and then he said, With a butcher give, give meat away for free. <laughs> and i was laughing but i think he had he he just had what it takes to like he he was very logical he just knew how to get into your mind and make you laugh uh, no it's and a I it's
2: a ch- great observation gene i am sorry about your brother's passing, but uh it's a great observation. I appreciate you sharing that. It is true. He really did um have a way long before Jerry Seinfeld was doing observational humor take things that we all just accepted at face value in society and point out the absurdity of that this is what goes on in society right.
14: Yeah, like, for example, like the Jews, how Jews walk into a restaurant and Gentiles walk into a you know, that's one of his most famous <laughs> right, things, right. you know, a Jew, a Gentile sits down at a table, a Jew walks in like he owns it, show me to my table, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very, it's very true. Uh, and uh, Stan is in New Jersey. Hello, Stan.
14: Uh, hello, uh, Frank. This
12: is Stan, the violinist. Um, uh, I'm a member of the New York Pops and one uh Gala, one of our galas, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, Sheba would be interested to know that Jackie appeared. He was the special guest conductor that Skitch Henderson chose for that gala to stand on the podium. And he he conducted the Sabre Dance of uh, Rimsky Korsakov, which is a very fast. A lively piece, and he was conducting and pointing and this and that, and his beat. As um, I'm sorry, the other gentleman, uh, the actor, um, with you. Uh, I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. sorry he's
2: with me too, Stan.
12: We're all sorry. We're all sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not sorry. You're with him. Uh, you mentioned the beat uh, of Jackie Mason, his beat and his timing, and it was great on the podium. And then I never forgot that I'm a violinist in the orchestra and I and he turns towards the audience Instead of the orchestra, and conducts behind his back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> None of that surprises me, Stan. Uh, that sounds uh, very much in keeping with Jackie's, uh, with Jackie's humor. You know, it's funny. You have come of age comedically, Sheba, in a social media era where uh, comic performers are expected to have websites and and uh, Twitter followings and Instagram. How do you think Jackie would have done in the the Twitter sphere?
14: I, I can't. Im- I mean, he definitely would have been canceled. <laughs>
2: Right. No, I mean no doubt they
0: about. They would have
14: it. revoked his Twitter account. But,
0: but yet again, he was. I mean, he was still. He, he died last year, so I mean, he still had a presence. He was on this station, wasn't he? Or he was on. Yeah, this, he yeah. would fill in yeah, uh, yeah. from time to time, but he hadn't done ben, that ben in Shapiro. a few years. He Spent a lot of time with Ben Shapiro. That, that's yeah. true.
2: That's true. Uh, and uh, he was certainly, if you, even if you, I think, if you listen to his stand-up to this day, he had a timing which was timeless. I, and I think, if you listen to routines like the one that you just referenced, it really is something that's still going to be funny. 50 years from now.
8: You know that Jewish people are the only people in the world who gain weight even when they go to a gym or a health club to lose weight. Watch Gentiles in a gym or a health club. You ever see how busy they are? Swimming, jumping, barbells, dogbells, dumbbells, dumbbells, they're so busy, they're crashing into walls, into furniture, stretching, and they're blocking. Man, hack, but every Jew is on a bicycle. This is look at any Jew his chest is collapsing but his legs are blowing up
4: from
8: the <laughs> everything I'm telling you is the truth why do you think you'd ever see a Jew in a bar you never see a Jew in a bar I don't mean a real pickup joint where low life's running around picking up girls like this man i'm come out decent people in a real bar with his real drinking going on you'll never see a Jew there never unless he got lost looking for a piece of cake because a, of- <laughs> a Jew is not comfortable in a bar they're not comfortable there. just like a Gentile is not too comfortable in a restaurant Majenta walks into a restaurant, they're very nervous, they're walking in. How do you do me? i sit down and How long should I wait? Nine years, why not? Nine years is okay. You ever see how a Jew walks into a restaurant like a partner?
13: Hello! Let me
8: see my table. On which table are you show you this a table for a man like me i don 't sit so close to a wall so far from a window. my wife don 't like the face this way i don 't like the face that way this way. Why are there so many people in this section that can be moved over here?
2: Uh, it's still, as I said, I think that's going to be funny uh, 50 or 60 years from now. And uh, evidently, the reviews for your musical, the Jackie Mason musical, has uh, gotten similar praise. Uh, My friend Jeffrey Gurian, who's a regular on this show, he has had nothing but uh, great things to say about the musical. He said he had high expectations for the show, and it exceeded even those expectations. What I didn't realize is there's 23 songs in this show.
14: I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's,
2: not that you su- took the time to count, but, I mean...
0: It's, it's a lot of songs. Full full two acts, full two-act musical.
14: But it's With, only 90 minutes, though.
2: Oh, that's pretty... Is there an intermission? Yeah. And is there a, a fully stocked bar that people can patronize at the intermission? Sure. Wonderful, okay. In fact, it we is, have
0: an intermission, so the Jews can get something to eat. <laughs> it's more important than the whole show, is
2: the ability for a Jew to get something to eat. No, the show. <laughs> 800-848-9222. Barbara
5: is on Long Island. Hello, Barbara. Yes, I am loving this part of your show. It's wonderful. I've been a devoted fan of Jackie Mason since the 1960s when I saw your dad up in the Catskills. I saw every show he did on Broadway, especially the first one. I saw that two times. Wow. Saw every every one of his shows in Westbury. He was brilliant. There was not a there will never be a comedian like Jackie Mason and what was so beautiful about him, every time I saw him and spoke to him at the end of the show and waited for an autograph, he was so humble and so appreciative that all his fans waited for him and he would always say, Thank you so much for waiting for me And the first show I remember, I stood outside, it was freezing, I went to see his first Broadway show with my daughter, and my daughter said, gee, let's go, let's go. I said, no, I have to see Jackie, I have to get his autograph. So people waited. There was a whole crowd waiting for him for 45 minutes. He was very appreciative that everyone waited for him. Well, but uh, he, he
2: was brilliant. Barbara, brilliant I, I, to- I certainly share your view of uh, Jackie as a comedic performer. I am curious, though, in uh, see, hearing the story of um, you know uh, Sheba's upbringing that's depicted in this musical – I mean, it really strikes me as just such an incredibly crummy thing to do to essentially abandon your your child for her entire life. Does that change your view of Jackie at all? Because even when Jackie was alive, it really did change my
13: view of him a bit.
5: I I thought of him just as a comedian Mm -hmm. and the talents he had and his brilliance, his commentary on life and politics was just so incredible and right on target. Uh,
2: No, that's fair. That's fair, Barbara. You know, you got to separate the art from the the, the artist, right? I mean, uh, people are still listening to a a lot of, um, you know, people are still watching Naked Gun, even though O.J. Simpson's in it, and uh, people are still listening to Gary Glitter music and things like that. Kanye (laughs) is the the best example, right, these days. Uh, You can imagine, what, what do you think Jackie would say about Kanye these days if he were still performing? What
14: would you say as Jackie? Schmuck.
2: <laughs>
14: <laughs> he defended Mel Gibson back then.
2: That, that's right. Uh. That's right. What, what was his rationale for defending Mel Gibson? What did he say? Do you remember?
14: What did he, I think he said that, uh, you know, he has every right to feel the way he does.
0: Well, I think I think Jackie loved this country. He loved this country for a number of reasons. One in particular is that the freedom of speech you have the, you have the ability to, to, to have an opinion about a thing. And, you know, I mean, it,
2: uh, certainly he did. Uh, that he did. 800 848 Rob in White Plains, very quickly here. We only have about a minute.
17: You know, real quickly, I just want to ask you, you know, some acts draw
20: certain ethnics. Well, in the beginning, did he draw mostly Jewish ethnic, and then it grew, or how did it work out?
14: Well, tell him what the Jews would say about his show. It was mostly the Jews who would say, that's too Jewish. <laughs> Everybody else didn't mind that it was so Jewish.
0: Well, there is a shtick about that. But he was the Borscht Belt guy, you know? I mean, he grew yeah. up in the, uh, in the Catskills and, and performing for a very large uh, Jewish uh, audience. And
14: yet, I'll tell you, when I do comedy all over the country, I, re- I mean, I was, in, I was in Syracuse. I was in West Virginia. People Gentiles like anybody over the age of 40 come over uh, to me after they all know who he was
2: Sheba Mason Ian Worley best of luck with uh, the Jackie Mason musical check it out at the Jackie I'm going to try and see it as well Thank you both for coming in
14: thank you
2: all right meantime we'll continue with a whole bunch of other fun things keep asking questions
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is Election Day. It is not only Election Day, but it's Lunar Eclipse Day. And uh, I think if I remember my conversation with Dr. Sky a couple of days ago accurately, the next time that uh, lunar eclipse is, a lunar eclipse is going to occur, the same day as Election Day, it's something like 500 years from now. So enjoy it while it lasts. If you're listening to this show live, not on the podcast, the initial phase of the eclipse began three minutes ago. So if you can get a look at the moon this hour and next hour, you're going to see some very interesting things. Special equipment is not needed uh, to observe the eclipse, but binoculars or a telescope will enhance the view and the red color. An hour from now, the partial eclipse will begin. It will look like a bite is being taken out of the lunar disk. And then about two hours from now, the totality... Of The lunar eclipse begins with the moon turning a coppery red and then totality will end at 642. So that's kind of cool. I'm looking forward to it. I have uh, a lot of preparations. Uh, Usually I try to get to bed around six, but uh, I have a lot of preparations to work on for election night. And uh, who's going to be in here when we have a whole panel of experts that going to be in here tomorrow, breaking down the results, analyzing the results. So I have to schedule everybody. I have a lot of moving parts. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to have a lunar eclipse and the election on the same day. Very neat. All right. Hey, you know what else is interesting? What Elon Musk did with Twitter. So Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. And I think this is very interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. And if you you know who's staying on Twitter is William Shatner. Shatner has a monstrous Twitter following, and he tweeted an, exist, an interesting, um, interesting thing about why he's choosing to remain in the Musk era. And I give him a lot of credit for that. The first thing uh, that's interesting to me is how Elon Musk has taken over. Because apparently one of the first things he did was they fired a whole bunch of people. Apparently it was initially about 50% of the company. So he commend. it's very interesting. Um, they told everybody that they weren't sure who was being fired and who was being kept. And they would all be notified via email if they were, you know let go or not. And it strikes me as a very crummy way to fire people. <laughs> I mean, I again, I'm rooting for Elon Musk to do well, but uh, you, you'd like to think that, all right, maybe that's not the best way to, you know, let go of the new workforce. And some of them... Have been brought back already, as I think Elon Musk is getting a greater idea of something of some of the things that need to go on in running a company like Twitter. But it got me thinking. Getting fired by email. I mean, these are people. These are people with families, people with lives, people that have devoted a lot of time to this company, maybe years in some cases. And some people may not have anything lined up. I think they were all given pretty decent severance packages, as I understand it. But it got me thinking. What is the worst way you've ever been fired? Now, I have to think getting fired by email is just horrible. Just horrible. What's the worst you've ever heard? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Because to get an email and then hear that uh, you, we're going to let you know whether or not you're keeping your job or not via email, I have to think that's just pretty close to being just awful. Uh, I don't know. Um, the other thing that's interesting about the Musk era on Twitter is I have been very proud to be verified for a number of years. And um, I don't have my, my, my computer is still kaput, my old one. So I don't have all my sound effects on there, but I used to have a very cool verified sound effect. Now, what does being verified mean? All verification is, is a confirmation from Twitter that you are who you claim you are. And you get a neat little blue check mark next to your name. Well, It is interesting, Elon Musk says that one of the changes he's making to the world of Twitter, because I I have had a blue check for a number of years, but it bothers the people that have not had blue checks for a great deal in some cases. You know, Joe Piscopo, who I worked with for, for years, he would say to me all the time, how do I get a blue check? Why do I not have a blue check? And if you think about it, it made no sense. I mean, Joe had many more followers on Twitter than I did. He was much more famous and is much more famous than I did. And yet he didn't have a blue check and I did. It just goes to show you how arbitrary some of the decisions that Twitter made was. And so Elon Musk comes out and says that he is going to be giving everybody the opportunity to purchase Twitter verification. That you're going to be able to spend $8 a month and you're going to be able to get a blue check just like anybody else. And now. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and some of the Fox News anchors, uh, people on The Five, for instance, I think Dana Perino, they've all come out and said they're not going to spend it. They're not going to spend the $8 to get verified. So now I'm wondering what I should do because I like my blue check. I'm very proud of my blue check status. But if all the cool kids, you know, on both the left and on the right, in news, in politics, in entertainment, if all the cool kids are not going to pay to get their verification, then does, in essence, the trendy thing to do is that now to not have a blue check. Will pretty soon Twitter be dominated by a bunch of blue checks that no one knows? And one of the things Elon Musk is doing that I do like is he's cracking down on impersonator accounts. If you claim that you're Frank Morano, you have to make clear that um, that's a parody account. That it's not the real Frank Morano. So it is, it is interesting. Um, the other interesting thing is that uh, Paul Krugman announced yesterday that he's leaving Twitter. He's setting up shop ads, uh, at a, a social network called Mastodon. And Mastodon, which I'd never even heard of, I don't think, before this week, that has already become a Twitter alternative for many users. So I'm seeing a number of interesting things here. My friend Sal Greco, the fired police officer, he started a Twitter account. He joined Twitter for the first time in a long time because of Elon Musk. So we're seeing certain people. uh, Whoopi Goldberg has left Twitter. Uh, Paul Krugman moving to Mastodon. We're now seeing people come to Twitter because of Elon Musk. I suspect those are mostly conservative people, and we're seeing people leave Twitter because of Elon Musk as well. And I do wonder the nice thing about Twitter as frustrating as it is and was, the frustrat the nice thing about Twitter was you could have conservatives, liberals, independents, all pe- non-political people, all folks interacting with one another. If we're now going into an era where all of these folks are going to dig more into their own individual silos where conservatives are on Twitter, liberals are on Mastodon, super conservatives are on Rumble, I think that really concerns me. And we move farther away from my goal of having people of different views interact with one another. What do you think? So, a uh, threefold question is one, what is your worst story about being fired? 800 848 9222. Two, uh, are you going to pay for a blue check? And three, do you are you concerned that all these social media networks are only going to exacerbate the problem with tribalism and polarization in this country? 800 848 9222.
16: Michael is in Manhattan. Hello. Hey. Um, many many years ago, I was hired by a by an agency. You know, you answered the in the Times. You got hired by this agency, but not by the company for which you were actually working. So, I got fired, and no one at the place where I was actually working would t- talk to me. They oh said, boy! No. You weren't hired by us. you were hired by that agency. and to make it worse, I was fired the day before Russia shut.
2: Oh boy, what line of work was this, Michael?
16: It was a very, very small company related to the printing to the printing industry
2: were and, you let go because the company was making cutbacks, or were you let go because of your performance
16: um because of performance but the person for whom I worked, the sales manager, was an absolute idiot, and he wouldn't talk to me
1: interesting
16: okay. interesting but wait it gets it gets a little better um I worked for another small printing, a uh, small printing company, and they they did what they call prep work, so all the work that goes into into uh, preparing your artwork for printing, and it goes back many many years. So the whole system has changed, but here's the deal: um, they said after six months. You will be uh, getting benefits if we decide to keep you on. Well, that's very nice. We're approaching the six month period, and I could see things were just not working out the way I had hoped they would. So I went into the owner. It was a father and a son. And I went into the owner and I said, Look, I know things haven't worked out quite right, but there are a couple of uh, can't imagine why this guy was fired. That I so think dynamic. I can close. I'll tell you what. The next two weeks, don't pay me anything. Okay. I just want to see about uh, trying to close these uh, potential new accounts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very really nice of you, Michael. But that's okay. We're going to be parting ways. Okay. Fine. Amicable. And I was getting paid what they call draw against commission. You know what that is, Frank?
2: I, I don't, but it, I, I okay. assume we're drawing, we're coming a, to a close make, to I'll this. I'll
16: get to the point quickly. Too we late for that. amicably, okay? So about six weeks later, I get an attorney's letter, and I'm quickly thinking did any relatives die? Nope. This company was suing me oh. for the wages that I got because they said they said I owed them this money that I was going that I was being paid every week. Long and short is, I went to court. Well, you had to go to court. Uh, someone was suing me.
2: Michael, we're rapidly approaching E. Frank territory in terms of length and in terms of boredom, honestly. Is is there an an end to
16: the story? Oh, yeah, yeah. I won my case. Oh, oh, well, see, that is is, it. Okay. That's good. And just the capstone, the judge called me up to the bench after the case. I said, oh, my God, she's going to change her opinion. No, she said, Michael. She said, look, I know you're not a youngster, but think about going to law school at night. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, uh, people that uh, if there's anybody that could benefit from charging by the hour, Michael, it is you. Absolutely. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Talking about Elon Musk and his Twitter acquisition, just over a week since Elon Musk closed his $44 billion acquisition of Twitter, he laid off about half the company's workforce. About 3,700 people. And it was chaos. Thursday night, Twitter sent out a company-wide email that told employees they would be informed of their job status via email. Ahead of the cuts, Twitter temporarily closed their offices and blocked workers from accessing internal tools. But I mean, a lot of people were understandably pretty frustrated about this. There was a class action lawsuit filed against Twitter for not giving employees sufficient notice about layoffs and about violating worker protection laws. However, the lawyer who brought the suit said that Elon Musk is making an effort to comply. And all this turbulence is scaring some advertisers. General Mills, Pfizer, Volkswagen. They're just a few of the brands that have paused ads on Twitter in recent days. And Elon Musk did acknowledge this. And he tweeted that the platform has seen a huge drop in revenue due to activist groups pressuring advertisers. So with if you're looking ahead with advertisers jumping ship, Elon Musk is in a race against time to secure new revenue sources because the reason... That Musk said he was going forward with these layoffs is because Twitter was losing $4 million a day. And so one of the strategies to make up for this revenue shortfall is they're launching this $8 a month subscription plan. One, are you going to pay for a blue check? I was already a subscriber to Twitter Blue, but now I'm afraid of how it looks. I'm afraid it might look like I'm one of these losers that needs to pay for their blue check status. I enjoyed my blue check status when I was one of the Twitter elitists looking down at all the non-blue checks. I remember I have a friend. I'm not going to say who it is, but he's a very prominent politician. And I would say, oh, my goodness, because he's all into Twitter and mixing it up with people on Twitter. And I would say, oh, did you see what so-and-so said about you on Twitter? He said, no, I wouldn't even look at a response from that kind of a person. They're not verified. I have my settings on my phone so that I will only see responses from people that are verified. He wouldn't bother dealing with the unwashed masses. So as Elon Musk tries to trim costs via these layoffs, um, it is very interesting. Elon Musk paid at least an extra $153 153 million dollars for Twitter. Think about this. By pushing his bid up to $54.20 per share as part of a weed joke, meaning because he wanted his bid price to end in 420. So, I mean, I'd be pretty ticked off if because the boss overpaid, you were dealing with losing your job. But um what is the worst story? I have to think this is pretty bad. I mean, put yourself in the in the shoes of someone that works for this company, told via email, hey, you might have a job, you might not. Check your email in a little while. Uh, But uh, in in the meantime, don't try and come into the office. Don't try to access the internal Slack channels. And the email is just signed Twitter. Not even a person. Twitter. And now, again, some of these people have gotten their jobs back, but it's a pretty crummy way to get fired. What is the worst way you've ever been fired?
1: a question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question.
2: David in Massachusetts. Hello.
4: Hey, Frank, how are you? Pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Likewise, David. Uh, You'll love this one. This is in the early 2000s. I was working in a small office plastic startup, about 30 of us in there. And the company had a we knew they were struggling and they had a habit of depositing your money into your bank account on Thursday before the Friday payday and all of a sudden about 10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday you heard some guy in the corner go check your bank accounts what they had done is everybody that they were going to lay off they put their severance pay into their weekly paycheck.
1: Oh man.
4: and that's how we all found out who was getting laid off and what, who was staying so with the company. Were you laid off?
2: Yep. <laughs> uh, and how much severance do they give you?
4: Um, it was in Massachusetts. It's uh, like one week for every year you work for the company. So we got about five weeks plus our vacation. So it was enough to hold you over until you could find something. Oh, well, that's rough. That
2: is a rough one. Thank you, David. You know, it's funny. I, um, I don't think I've, again, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to jinx anything. I don't think I've ever been fired. Not, I don't think I I have never been fired. I did get a, um, a pay cut one day, um, when I was working at a radio station and uh, our parent company was in all sorts of um, turmoil, and I was not making a lot of money. I mean, I wasn't starving, but I don't know what I was making. I think about $55,000 a year, maybe a little less. And they announced – yeah, it was 55000 right around there. And they announced – they called us all into a room, and we had seen the stock price that our parent company was, was falling. I mean, every day it was just w- moving closer and closer to zero. I mean, it was really – a depressing place to work. And so they called about 30 of us into a conference room. And this was a company that owned four radio stations on the floor. They called 40, about 30 of us into a conference room. And these were all people that didn't know one another and didn't really work with one another, like all people from different departments. And it's funny, a couple of my coworkers didn't get the email to come into this meeting. And I said, to, I said to my coworker, Jill, I said, hey, did you get the email to go into this meeting? She said, no. And so sure enough, everyone who got called into this conference room, they all had gotten the email. And they all did the same thing that I did, which is they asked their coworkers, hey, did you get the email? Did you get the email? And all of us were super nervous because we knew that this was not a company-wide email. We were targeted. And so we go in there. And the president of the radio station at the time says, I hate to tell everybody this, but unfortunately, um, you, everybody that makes over a certain amount of money, and I think the amount was $50,000, everyone who makes a certain amount of money is now getting a 5% salary reduction, uh, you know, effective immediately. Now, on the one hand, everybody in the room was disappointed because we all got a pay cut. But. We were all kind of relieved because we all thought we were being let go. So it's funny in in the workplace, just like anywhere else, everything's sort of an expectations game. And it, it's interesting. I remember leaving that meeting and I I told a friend of mine, "Hey, well, uh, hey, you know, i glad I still have a job, but I'm really ticked off that they cut us by five percent." And uh, they said, "Oh, well, I'm sure. It, did they cut everybody?" Yeah, I said, "Yeah, just about." I said, oh, so they cut, uh, they cut Imus and Hannity and those guys that are making all that money? And I said, no, no, uh, those guys have contracts, so they're not able to cut them. Oh, and they said, uh, wh- what about the, um, the engineers, the engineers and the uh, phone screeners? I said, oh, no, they, um, they weren't able to cut those guys either because they are part of a union and their union negotiated with them and they have to do things with their union. And they said, oh, well, at least the salespeople. The salespeople also probably got the cut. So, no, no, the salespeople were on commission, so they they didn't get a cut either. And so you're telling me it's basically you and 10 other people in the whole company that got this uh, pay reduction. But whatever, at least uh, at least you got to still stay, stick around. Your worst story about being fired, what is it? Uh, original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick.
15: Good morning, Frank. Good morning. morning. I have a Three, three very quick things. I won't make it long. Uh, one's about how I got fired. One's about Twitter and a, a very quick story relating to it. First, how I got fired. It was not only over the phone, but my mother had died, and I had asked for some personal time off to deal with getting the house renovated and stuff. I said it would be about two months, maybe three. No problem, take it off. Whoa, blah blah blah. So every two or three months, I would call. Uh, every two or three weeks, I would call and say, "Is everything okay? Do you need me back?" Yeah, I'm having a hard time here, but I'll come back. No, we got your back, Rick, I, blah, 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 blah. Of course, after three months when I called to say, okay, I'm ready to come back when I could, oh, we had to replace you. So Oof. What? Yeah, yeah. So it's not only over the phone, but I kept calling because I was worried and, and, and being told, don't worry, don't stress yourself out. And then it was like a double blow in the, in, in the gut, you know? Oh,
2: yeah, I don't blame so that, you. That's awful.
15: That That was one of the worst. On the Twitter thing. Uh, maybe he did that because so many of them don't want to come in or are not coming in. They're working from all over the country. How else could he, if they're not coming in because they're somewhere else, how can he say, come here so I can fire you? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they kind of set themselves up for a remote firing by remote working. It kind of, maybe he was between a rock and a hard place. How do I fire all these people when they're not even here?
2: Oh, yeah, midnight. yeah, no, uh, that's uh that's fair. That's fair, Rick. Uh thank you. I mean I guess he could have signed his name to the email. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight, straight ahead.
1: The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano.
3: What's the matter, Ralph? Alice Mullen? Pound? Exactly, pal.
2: She's the worst by far. I think she ain't mine. Ha ha hearty, ha. ha. <laughs> this is the Honeymooner oh, rap uh, by Joe Piscopo. And you know who the other voice is that you hear on this rap? It's Eddie Murphy. So it's um, Joe Piscopo essentially as the Ralph Cramden character, and, and Eddie Murphy as the uh, Norton character. A terrific novelty song i could never understand why this song wasn't a bigger hit because i think this song is great musically and the humor of it both and the fact that both joe and eddie murphy were in it i think is just great uh, playing this because tomorrow is actually the 19th anniversary of art carney's passing and uh, four days ago was his birthday so uh, every day that art carney is not around is a sad one. Uh, there's someone that uh, really made the world a whole lot better with his, his comedy. And you uh, talk about one of the most iconic television shows in history and one of the most iconic television roles in history. I don't think it gets any better than uh, Art Carney. 800 uh, 848 Talking about the rather, I don't know how you could f- phrase it, the rather cold way in which 3,700 Twitter workers were laid off And I'm wondering, what's your worst story about being fired? You know, there was an episode of Cheers where Norm, it becomes his job to fire people. And he becomes known for the sympathetic way in which he fires people. And he takes them for a beer, and uh, he feels so bad about it. And then ultimately he gets desensitized to it a bit by the end of the episode. And then the movie, the George Clooney film, Up in the Air... That's their whole premise. The whole premise of that film is they're part of a firm like the one that fired Michael in Manhattan, who's still talking now, going on and on with that call. And uh, basically companies hire this firm to downsize them. And I have to think that's really a stressful job. I, I would hate to do that. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. 800 Paul is in Queens. Hello, Paul. Hey, how are you? I, I have to yeah, uh, um, love your show. Thank you. Worst firing
20: um, had to be right before Thanksgiving. Working uh, the the night it was uh, actually day day shift, but we got pulled into working late that night, and um, we're trying to figure out a computer problem, and we're trying to get stuff printed, and there there was myself and another manager, and the owners were trying to pick who they were going to keep but this was a, a busy day very very busy and trying to figure out this computer and i kept calling it and nobody from it would pick up but this other clown would call it and they would answer the phone for him so then he didn't know how to do anything and he kept giving the phone to me and we kept getting to this point of solving the problem and getting it fixed we were there until probably two in the morning and um at that point, I was like, you know, you can leave. I can take care of this. And he was like, no, 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 I have to stay. I have to see this through. And I was like, seriously, dude, tomorrow we can do this, or rather, you know, the next day we can, we, we can talk and get get through this thing. And he was like, no, nope, you have to stay. You have, oh, I have to stay. I have to stay. Finally, um, I finished the whole thing, and he goes, it, it's done. It's finished, right? And I was like, it's all finished. And he goes, okay, you're fired.
10: Oh,
16: oh. And,
20: Left that day, and I was like, "What?" I looked at him. I it took everything from me. Obviously, I didn't hit him or anything, but it took every ounce in me to not like kill this guy because I was like, he could have just said, "Go home" or whatever. And that's why nobody from IT talked to me. The other thing, um, I I wouldn't even bother about the blue check mark. It, it'll go away by itself. So. No big deal. Twitter's going to be Twitter. Um, Elon's going to be Elon. Um, Don't worry. You're a good guy, so everybody's
2: going to follow you anyway. Thank you, Paul. Well, I wouldn't say everybody's following me. You know what? Everyone should be following me. You know, right now, there are 207 people who have an opportunity to share in my Powerball winnings if I win, whenever this drawing takes place in this sham system of a Powerball jackpot that we have here. Uh, but I am on Twitter at Frank Morano, that's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O, and uh, I got a couple of nice direct messages here, which we will um, we will go through some of them when we go through the mail in about five minutes. But I want to hear your worst story about being fired. What is it? 800 848 Benny is in Manhattan. Hello, Benny. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. Thank you.
13: You're the best, baby. I listen to you at night sometimes. Wonderful. I appreciate it sometimes. Oh, listen, Frank, I was in the car business for 20 years, right? This is in Fort Lauderdale. I was working at uh, King Auto Mall on Sunrise Boulevard. I got a manager named Eddie Everard. He already good people. I got good finance people everything. The only thing is I figured out that I could sell cars late at night. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Because the people who got money to just pay for the car don't have time to shop. Anyway, one day in the morning, we got into an argument. He fired me. Mm. When he fired me, my appointment turned up. So I sold the car. He fired me again. As I walked out, two of my other customers showed up. I sold two more cars. He fired me again. I went to lunch and came back to get my things. And my other customers showed up. And I sold another car. So then he didn't know what to do with me. I said, "Well, you fired me, didn't you?" So I'm going home. And as I walked home to go get my car, my other customer coming. And I sold five cars that day and got fired. And I got my job back the next day. The well, next, I swear for God, may God take the tongue out of my mouth.
2: Well, at least it had a happy ending there, Benny.
13: Yes. Now you want to hear the worst one? Love to. All right. Here go the worst one. The worst one. I'm in the car business, right? And I'm working for, uh, like, you know, like a, what do you call it? like a used car lot here in the Bronx? I'm starting to think this in guy's the in the car business. And they don't necessarily, how you say it, got their act together? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now they give me a list of people they want me to call. But when I go through the list, some of the people are dead, you know, and some of the people are, like, you know, bizarre or crazy, whatever. And it's crazy names. So, I call the administrative supervisor over and I tell him about it. She says, okay, don't worry about that. So then, finally, like two days later, I get to the general manager and he's complaining. So I told him what happened. So I brought the supervisor over to verify, right? You know what he says to me? He says, I don't care if their name is Donald Duck or Mickey Mouse. You call them. You know what I told him? I don't care if you're the manager, you're fired. He said, you can't find me? I said, yes, I can, because I'm about to ask the owner for your job. <laughs> so what happened?
2: Did you get his job? I got his job. Hey, all right. And you are, are you still working in the car business?
13: No, not now. Yeah. Well. I'm, I'm thinking about what to do. I'm looking at some of these futuristic cars. You know, I got an idea for the EV and how to keep, how you say it, refuel them? No, I got a great idea with that. All right, well, we'll save that for a future
2: show, Benny. Uh, maybe think about Tesla, because I have a feeling that pretty soon all these celebrities that are abandoning Twitter because of Elon Musk's Twitter ownership, pretty soon they're going to start abandoning Tesla as well. 800-848-922, 800-848-9222, we have a first timer. Lionel is in New Jersey Hello Lionel
18: Yeah the company I worked for Has a habit of firing you while you're on vacation Ugh. And that company's WABC And ABC is not 100 years old either
2: Wait so you worked at WABC? No oh, he hung up I think that guy was just being a wise guy Alright four uh, eight nine two two two. 848 I don't think that guy really worked here I don't think he really was Lionel Because Lionel doesn't live in New Jersey uh, Jean is in Peekskill. Hello, Jean.
21: Oh, hi, Frank. Hi. Wonderful. I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you. This took place at WJRZ Radio in Newark, New Jersey. I was the copy chief, and uh, not only did I do the on-air copy, I wrote all the co- wrote all the commercials and produced them, and my my voice was used as well. And the salesmen would go out with their little tape recorders with my commercials and play them. And the people would say, oh, let's let's do her. I would like her voice. So I did, um, I had to join Astra. So all of a sudden, the entire advertising department of the Burden Record was hired to be the advertisement of WJRC. And the advertising manager had bought his mistress, even though he was married, he, he brought his mistress as his secretary. And she, for some reason, hated my guts, maybe because I was 25, an attractive young girl, and um, a fraudulent memo went everywhere, all over the the station, saying, Miss so-and-so has... Uh, constantly shown a terrible attitude towards her work, she is immediately fired, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I burst into tears. Wait, so you
2: were fired um, with a, a memo that was sent on mass to everyone? Yes. Oh boy, yes. that
21: is rough. And I, and I was, I was bringing in business to the station too. And so I ran away and was crying. I went to my little uh, efficiency apartment in Newark. And about a half an hour later, the doorbell rang, and it was the neck I I um, actually would say me was AFTRA. They went after them, and I actually got the $4,000 that they owed me. Oh, the great. The station owed me. And they all were fired. The entourage, not because of this, but because of sure. other reasons. The station went down the tubes ultimately, but um, all of that entourage were fired. But- you know.
2: Gene, uh, thank you. I'm glad it had a happy ending there. I'm glad those uh, naysayers, the people that were your detractors didn't get away with that. And thank you for sharing that. Um, it's funny. It's interesting that Gene Jean, Jean mentions there how AFTRA stood up for her. And I'm a very big supporter of labor unions, especially in the private sector. And, you know, it's funny. Everybody loves to bash labor unions until they need a union to stand up for them. And if you're wrongly fired or if you're wrongly disciplined, all of a sudden you you run to your union and they will protect you in many cases. You know, Bernard McGurk, who passed away recently, he was fired, obviously, after the— um, Rutgers incident do you know how much money he ended up losing because of that? None none because AFTRA stood up for him and they found a way to get him paid um, in, even though that he had been let go so ADA, it, it's a, an aside here not necessarily not necessarily relevant to the worst instances of being fired but what was your worst story about being fired? 800 848 Dan is in New Jersey hello Dan
22: Good morning, uh, Frank. Right, right. I was—I uh, worked for a big, uh, big, huge company out of California for a long time, and after about ten years, uh, the bunch of—we were all sales reps. We were called to a meeting. Uh, they brought us out to Dallas, flew us all in. Uh, a couple hundred uh, sales reps put uh, gave all of us cards as we walked in the door of the particular uh, the hotel, and the cards had either a blue dot or a green dot. And we were told to be at a meeting at a certain time. And they said the blue dots go in this room, the green dots go in that room. And uh, they all the blue dots, they all got fired. And all Oof. the green dots all uh, basically had to stay in the room locked up while the others all went and got their stuff out of the room because they had flights that were leaving within the next hour.
2: So you were a blue dot?
22: Yes, I, uh. Uh, yes, I was. I was not fired. But that, uh, that's I right. actually have another very... The real quick one. Um, I was working for a company. Um, I had a resume that I sent in. I got hired by a company. After two weeks, I got a call to come down to HR. I met with uh, the guy who was actually running the whole business and another gentleman, and I was getting, they sat me down and said, you're being fired for a fraudulent and uh, a resume that had incorrect statements. And they proceeded to show me, and they somebody had actually filed someone else's resume under my name, cut the top off where you could see the name. They tried to fire me on the spot because of that, but it was I was never fired because of that. But it was uh, it was kind of an interesting thing how something can really turn around and slap you in the face.
2: Mm, uh, that is for sure, Dan. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello, Nick.
19: Hey, Frank, how you doing? I got an interesting story for you. Yeah, I used to work for this department store years ago when I was like a teenager. Uh, And, uh, well, I was in my, you know, I was pretty young, like 18 years old. And I had this Jewish manager, nice guy. One time uh, uh, I got myself locked in the store. They were closing the store at night. I got myself locked in uh, because I was in the warehouse. So the manager had to come back around a couple of hours later. I, I tried to get out the back door. The uh, warehouse uh, fire alarm door went off, and mm-hmm. the, the, the store alarm went off. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought I was going to get fired for sure, you know, because I I tried to deactivate the, the alarm system in the front of the store so that I could get out the back way. So that was one thing that, that happened. I was like Dennis the Menace. Then they had us, uh, you know, putting signs up for the customers, um, you know, for sale signs and with little sticks in, in the, you know, where they sell the clothing and stuff. Some lady tripped over the stick and uh, she rolled up on the floor and they had to get an ambulance for her. So that was the second crazy thing that happened. Mm. <laughs> so the manager, he still didn't fire me. So lo and behold, down the road, uh, the manager I guess wasn't running the business that good. He he got fired. The manager got fired, and and I and he came back one day to the store, and I was working in the garden center. He came back with his Lincoln, a nice uh, Lincoln, you know, Continental, and um, he wanted some limestone. So <laughs> I brought the limestone bag up to the car, and the bag burst, and it spilled a whole fifty pounds of limestone. Uh, inside this Jewish guy's car. It was all over his velvet seats and everything, man. It was a a freaking nightmare. So he got fired. (laughs) That was the craziest thing. I felt sorry for him. He was a nice guy, actually. I I should have been fired when I locked myself in the store. I locked myself in the store around 9 p.m., and they didn't get me out. The police had to come. They thought I was a burglar, you know? But the guy never fired me after all that shit. That happened, you know?
2: Well, uh, th- yeah. thank you, Nick. I, I appreciate that. 800 uh, 848 Sandy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sandy.
23: Hi, Frank. How are you?
2: I'm well, thanks. Uh,
23: good. I was in the fashion industry, so they would fire people left and right, but you had to be one step again, uh, ahead of the game. So I'd gone to this company, and I innovated for them a junior section, uh, because juniors was the up-and-coming thing. Uh, in the market that was showing up in all the stores, so I made a boatload of money for them, and of course I didn't get paid as much as the men, but that you know, but I enjoyed the job, so what the heck? So uh, one day uh, the, mer- the GM that was working for me, and I had worked for him at another company, said to me um, when I went away on vacation, I had burnt my eyes up with the sun. So you, will, um, you
2: burnt I, your eyes up with the, sun? with the
23: sun, yeah, because I was in the Mediterranean. And I didn't realize that, mm-hmm. you know, I was under the umbrella and wearing sunglasses and somehow I got this burnage. So the doctor said, well, you can't go back to work and you can't leave the country right now. I have to treat you. And then when you're better, you'll go back and it'll take about three or four days. So I get back over there and I go into that. chute and tell him what happened. And he says to me, well, you know, you're going to get fired. I said, yeah, and I'm going to tell him that you're fooling around with the merchandise manager in the other division, and shame on you, because your wife is very ill. <laughs> so he shut up, and he didn't say anything to me. So I went back to my office, and I had worked with another uh, a much older woman, and she says, Sandy, she says, you've got to get the hell out of here. I said, well, Bernice, nobody knows, but I'm pregnant, and I am going to eventually leave. So I went to um, went to give in my resignation when I, you know, in a timely fashion. And when I left the company, they decided they didn't want to give me unemployment because I was pregnant. Well, that, of course, is against the law. Sure, absolutely. That. So I turned around and I went down to unemployment and I told them what I had. And I had verification because the manager that, you know, did the hiring or whatever that was in charge of this, unemployment stuff he said oh no she was a great worker and she made him a boatload of money <laughs> so that was it and that uh, that was the end of the story but i i think of these things and i say women really and this was in the 70s women i was taught when i was growing up and i was i was graduating college my father was in the military he said you could do anything a man could do and you could do it better and i followed that through my whole life well and i you know, and uh you know and I've, i found a wonderful man that I've been married to for forty four years, you know, and uh that's it, and uh, I trained my daughter to be the same way, and uh you know, I told my son you're you know you're kind of being wimpy, you gotta step up to the plate. Don't be afraid to open your mouth. Well, Thank you, Sandy. You I appreciate do. you sharing
2: that. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. You're thanks well. for sharing that. 800-848-9222. We'll take a few more of these in just a minute. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll try and go through the mail. If, uh, if we have time, we'll do it next. If not, we'll do it next hour. This is The Other Side of Midnight straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. 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 It's the
2: Other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano, and uh, it's uh, we'll try and continue with your calls in just a minute. But a lot of you prefer the written word to the spoken one, and for you, we keep this portion of the show open to those of us, of those of you that like written communication, including. Let begin with Twitter. Uh, this is a direct message. John from Staten Island couldn't hang on longer. He was on hold before. I was about to start work. I thought you were going to uh, talk about this when you mentioned blue check marks, but Elon Musk attempt at getting $8 for verification actually opened up a huge investigation. Some Twitter employees were charging up to $45,000. What? Just for that check mark, just as you said, some people have trouble getting one. Well, Twitter employee would contact you saying, I can get it for you within a week, and it will cost you $12 $12 or $15,000. Wow, that is wild. All right, this is Snail Mail. This is from Marianne. Uh, She writes, Dear Frank, I am sorry for the loss of your friend and colleague Bernard McGurk. That's very nice. Through the years since 2001, after 9-11, I became... A friend, um, a friend listener to Rush Limbaugh, Dennis Miller, I'mus, MSNBC, Fox Business, WABC, and now Bernie and Sid. Your show, The Other Side of Midnight, seems like a different type of radio. It's great. All the hosts are great. You too, Frank. Ciao, Marianne. That's very nice. This is from Twitter. Juliana writes, good day to you, Mr. Frank Moreno. Just let you know that you're doing a brilliant job. I have been listening to 77WABC for three months, and I really love listening to it. It's now becoming my all-time favorite station. Very nice. Keep up the great work. Hopefully you will come to Australia. Take care. God bless. That's from Juliana. That's very nice. All right. This is a a letter, the no return address on the envelope. Uh, Oh, just a letter that says, dump Chuck Schumer, vote November 8th for Diane Sayre, independent candidate for U.S. Senate. All right. Well, Diane Sayre was on the show. I don't know of a lot of other radio shows with our audience that are having her on there. All right. uh, Raphael writes, Frank, here's a topic for you. If you win the billion-dollar lottery, how and where do you deposit that amount of money? Uh, Frank, thanks. You're great as usual. You know, that's a good question. I've actually thought a lot about that. I would go with a lot of um, bonds, you know, um, tax-free municipal bonds or other investments that would pay a modest return. I like the bonds because it gives you the, you know, the flexibility of no taxes. I'll tell you what's a great value still, even though they reduced the return on this slightly, those I-bonds. But I think you're limited to only $10,000 worth. But if you have more than that, hey, God bless you. Uh, There's an email from Anna. Anna, I was on hold to tell you my strange experience with lottery tickets, but I lost the phone connection. I've only ever bought two lottery tickets in my life at different times to give to good friends as presidents. Each was killed. Before the date of the drawing, one was an accidental mafia shooting. The other was a dreadful episode with a truck. Needless to say, after the second one, I've never bought a lottery ticket again. Strange, right? I should say so. All right, this is a a letter here from David Krell. Frank Thux, thanks so much for the recent opportunity to appear on your show again. It is great you cover a variety of topics in relatively short period of time. Best for the rest of 22. That's awfully nice. That's from David. This is an email here from Grace, who writes, Hi, Frank. Just like to say, as Tom would say, you are my addiction. You get better and better as your shows get more and more interesting. I started, but this is, there's way too many nice letters here. We've got to pick a few more critical ones. Hopefully, uh, let me open this piece. I'm, 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 modesty prevents me from finishing the rest of Grace's letter because it's far too kind. Uh, this is from New Jersey. This is a letter here from uh, I don't know. It's uh, oh, I think this is a dr- oh, this is addressed to Matt Blaze, not to me. All right, I'm not going to read this. You can read that, Matt. I don't want to be accused of invading your personal space. Uh, all right, this is It's a federal
18: offense. Probably. Yeah,
2: sorry. Uh, okay, this is a um, letter here from. Uh, Marianne again. I think it's the same Marianne who called before. We're not going to give her two letters in the same show. Uh, This is an email here from Margot. Margot writes, um, laughing in the middle of the night. Frank, top sheet versus no top sheet was so funny. Do you ever go back and listen to your show on your podcast? It's one of the funniest things that I've ever heard on radio. Well, I've learned from Jackie Mason. That's the way to get all the girls is to be funny. All right. If we didn't get your letter read today, hopefully we'll be on the next edition of
16: Another
11: letter from Mr.
2: Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. Everybody. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'll tell you, I am a football fan, casual football fan. Not, um, you know, I wouldn't say I have an encyclopedic knowledge of anything, but certainly not professional football. I, I don't think that I could name more by name. I don't think I could name more than 30 current NFL players on every team. Uh, so I don't have a lot of knowledge of football. So I don't want to act – I always have to give this disclaimer whenever we talk about anything football-related. I am not a football expert by any stretch. Now, that being said, I am a huge fan of Terry Bradshaw. I love Terry Bradshaw. Always have. As a player, as a personality, even as an actor, when he's done occasional acting, I think he's hysterical. I think he's one of these larger-than-life characters and larger-than-life personalities – Which his participation in a telecast of any kind, whether you're talking football or foosball, makes it worth watching. He's almost like Rush Limbaugh in that respect. Rush was somebody that whatever he would talk about on the radio. Howard Stern, I find the same thing. Howard Stern talks about chess. He talks about uh, uh, photography or art. I'm riveted. Rush Limbaugh would talk about golf. Uh, professional football or politics, I'd be riveted. Terry Bradshaw, to me, is in a similar vein. doesn't matter what he's talking about. He's just so engaging and so interesting that I love listening to him. Well, now Hall of Fame quarterback Terry Bradshaw is under fire following a comment that he made during this past Sunday's edition of Fox NFL Sunday. While discussing the Cardinals Seahawks game, Bradshaw interrupted fellow analyst Sean Payton, who said he'd like to see Arizona running back um, uh, James Connor run the ball more often. And this is what Terry Bradshaw said:
7: "I want to see Connor not, get involved. Not I want to see. Well, I'd like they're to not going to do it. Up. They just can't do well, it. Yeah, the, their mentality is." Throw, 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 throw! I think if this kid ran five or six runs in a row, I think he'd commit suicide or something.
11: They have whoa, to throw. whoa, whoa. whoa! That's a little dark for this audience. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, a little what I dark for all of us. <laughs> they just, they just don't seem to
7: care anything about the running game. That's just the way they. Well, I, it. I don't think it's a. Yeah.
2: Now, what you don't see there is Michael Strahan lifted his eyebrows, so again, if you didn't make out what Terry Bradshaw was saying, it's pretty clear, but what he said was their mentality is throw, 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 throw. I think if this kid ran five or six runs in a row, I think he'd commit suicide or something. Um, Howie Long then interjects and says, whoa, 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 that's a little dark for this audience. And then uh, Kurt Menefee adds, that's a little dark for all of us. Meanwhile, Michael Strahan lifted his eyebrows and stares straight at the camera with a puzzled look on his face. As the broadcast continued, Bradshaw added, they just don't seem to care anything about the running game. Bradshaw's remark quickly drew backlash on social media. And, of course, we're in an era where whatever happens on social media, that's what defines everything. With some people demanding an apology. From the 74-year-old Steelers legend who recently addressed his multiple cancer battles in the last year. Dear Terry Bradshaw, Suicide is not a joke, Lindsay Young, an editor for the Vikings, tweeted, while another commented, Terry Bradshaw making the effing suicidal joke was not it. One Twitter user even suggested that Bradshaw should be fired. Quote, Terry Bradshaw should be fired for his comments today. There is no place in the world for jokes about suicide. Bradshaw and Fox have not yet addressed the situation as of Monday. All right. Now that you know why people are upset and you've heard the comments for yourself, where do you come down on this? Do you think Terry Bradshaw should have to apologize? Do you think he should be suspended? Do you think he should be fired? 800 848 9222. I'll tell you where I come down on this. I think this is nonsense. I think this is hogwash. Look, I've known people that have killed themselves, and I've known a lot of family members that have, uh, family members of people that have killed themselves, and I know suicide's not a joke. Terry Bradshaw was not joking about suicide. Terry Bradshaw made a poor reference. He was trying to make his point using hyperbole, meaning all he was saying was this guy, this team, will never run the ball. We get it. We get it. Now, in uh, athletics, there's a certain type of run that you do repeatedly called suicides. Is it inappropriate to use that term? Come on. I I think... The reaction to this, both from the guys in studio there with Terry Bradshaw and from the Twitter sphere, is well out of proportion. Terry Bradshaw used a poor metaphor. I think the reaction is dramatically out of proportion with what he said. He wasn't um, actually saying people should kill themselves. He was just saying they're not going to run the ball. We get it. I, I knew exactly what he meant. Um, And, you know, I really do take issue with his colleagues there. Howie Long, who I know he's worked with for, you know, probably close to 20 years now, and I'm sure they have a good relationship, and, and the others. Because, you know what I picture it as? You know when you have a, a little kid and they fall down, they hit their head, they hit their knee, whatever, and the adult around them, if you react, if you go, oh, my goodness, the kid starts crying. Um, where if you don't react, if you act like no, that was no big deal, the kid doesn't cry. And we go through this. We see this with Carmite. I think had Howie Long and, uh, and the others, uh, Michael Strahan and uh, Kurt uh, Manafee, if they had not made this out to be such a big deal, I don't think there would be this this parade of news coverage on this. I don't think the Twitter sphere would have uh, erupted. I think they would have just moved on. If they acted like this was not a big deal, nobody would have cared. It's the reaction from his colleagues which I think brought this on. So I don't think he needs to apologize at all. At all. What what say you? Todd in New Jersey. Hello.
4: Hey, what's up, Frank? Love the show. Thank Um, you. I am so connected to this in so many different ways. I mean, they just got to think of Terry Bradshaw as like kind of a Joe Biden type character where, oh, that's just Terry being Terry. Because it really is. I mean, Strahan, thanks for the two Super Bowls. But, dude, you got to chill out on this woke overreaction. It's a metaphor. Yeah, a bad one. Big deal. Howie, come on. My wife dated him in college. Oh, is that right? He's not that sensitive.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. So you agree with me, it sounds like, that the reaction from the guys in studio was bizarre.
4: It was just not, they could just like shake their head like Michael Che and say, wow, dude, that's a little rough, but... Hey, we'll just move on. Well, I mean, but why did they
2: have to react at all? I mean, you know what Terry meant. You know, he
4: was just saying they're not going to run the They're not going to. They're worried. They're worried if they don't overreact, they're going to cut. They're going to be the target. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just threw Terry under the bus. Right. Exactly. The woke cancel culture mob to go after him. Which is BS. It it is. I mean, I don't agree with Terry's politics, but. Well, I don't even know his politics. What, What are his politics? he said a lot he said things in the past uh, you know about i would say blm and a lot of woke stuff yeah that's well just, so you know what i, politically it, it I makes, think he leans to the left but I, that that's that's different that's uh, not football yeah exactly
2: you know uh, it makes no difference to me what his politics are you know why because when i watch the uh, football games i don't hear him talking about politics so that's fine with me and i don't care what his politics are but and that's to me not not relevant to this discussion. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. James is in North Carolina. Hello, James. Frank Morano. Good morning. This is your old friend James. Hey, James Toto. How are you, my yeah, brother? Sir. It's great to hear from you.
18: Good. Good to hear from you too. I mean, they are they are blowing this way out of proportion. I mean, does does even media remember that Terry Bradshaw suffered from depression?
4: Right, it and cancer, crazy. which is a real thing.
18: And, and, Yeah, and all of a sudden because the sensitive people are out there going, Oh my god, he mentioned suicide it would say, you know, what he's really saying is that, you know what, hey, look, the guy likes to throw the ball, the guy wants to throw the ball, all of a sudden you're gonna, you know, try and run the ball and use somebody else's talent that this guy is so desperate as a quarterback that he has to show his his prowess as a quarterback can throw the ball all the time. Run, run the ball. Football is about variety. It's a guessing game to the defense. Yeah, let
2: the defense do their job. Run the ball a little bit. Right. Well, all and again, game. whether his analysis of the football situation is right or wrong, um, it, again, who cares? I mean, it's just—it's yeah, it, exactly, his opinion. Really, really. It's his opinion. We know exactly what he meant. I mean, you know what also bothers me? It, it bother. What bothers me about this, James, is. We're also in an era right now where there really are uh, legitimate uh, conversations about suicide that are happening or not happening, which are leading people to kill themselves. The story a couple of years ago about the um, girlfriend who um, who whose jilted lover was contemplating suicide, and she urged him to kill himself. Now, that to me is something that really is 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 needing to be addressed. This is—nobody's going to kill themselves because of what Terry Bradshaw says. The, the football player that he's talking about, the running back that he's gonna, is talking about, is not saying, oh, well, Terry Bradshaw made a remark about me um, preferring suicide to running the ball. It, it will have no effect on anybody. I, I find—I think what these guys did, Howie Long and the others, it brings more attention to suicidal, um, you know, tendencies if that's possible.
18: Right. No, and I agree. But at the same time, it's a comment. He's not pushing anybody to commit suicide. It's showing, you know, look, the guy feels maybe threatened. He feels as if maybe maybe he's afraid. I don't know. Maybe maybe the the, the, the woke left are afraid to say, oh, you know, the guy's afraid to do his job. He commits suicide. I'm like, how many times do you t- say to somebody on a job site, Hey, man, look, man, you're killing yourself out there. Right. But, you know, work smarter, not harder.
2: Right. You know, again, it, it happens all the time. You know, it, it's like when something someone does something uh, foolish You might say to them, what are you, drunk? What are you on drugs? You're not actually saying, are you drunk or are you on drugs? You just, it's an expression. I knew exactly what he meant. I can't imagine anybody legitimately being offended by this. And the fact that there are now multiple people out there, including professionals in the football business, calling for Terry Bradshaw to be fired, to me, it absolutely defines, it defines common sense, defies common sense.
18: The five, yes, it defies comments. How many times do you say, you, know, you, you, you might say jokingly and passing, you know, man, what are you trying to kill yourself out there? It's a comment. That's all it is. And they're going to want to ruin a man's career, ruin his
2: life. No, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It, it, it's absolutely insane. It's, it's absolutely uh, bizarre. Hey, uh, for people that don't know you, James, you were a, a big shot uh, politico in uh, New Jersey when you lived up, uh, uh, lived up here. Now you're in North Carolina. Any, any predictions on how the elections go uh, tom- well, today, I guess? Any predictions on how they go, whether locally, races that you're watching or around the country? <laughs>
18: what I'm hoping for, and, and with the reality of the amount of you know cheating I see that's out there, historically, I'm hoping that I want common sense government. I want a good balance in there. I do want to see a little bit more Republican action out there. That's because that's that's my side of the table. But it, it's uh, where do I see it going? Uh, I hope. Uh, what's your name? Uh Lake out in Arizona. I hope she you know she wins. I would love to see Chuck Schumer lose dramatically. Yeah, day. I wouldn't be
2: holding my breath on that one. No, uh, neither would I. But we'll you can s- always pray. Yeah, we'll uh, see what happens. Hey, uh yeah, well, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Call again.
18: God bless you, man. I love following you on Facebook, man. I love the pictures of of, of of your son and your wife, man. You have a beautiful family. God bless you, Frank. All the success to you, hey, man. Hey, thank you. Uh,
2: give uh, your wife, uh, Bev, a uh, hug for me. I look forward to seeing you bo- both soon. You got it, brother.
9: 800-848-9222. Jeff is in Manhattan. Hello, Jeff. Hey, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, and I love Michael Straham, so I didn't see this, but I'm surprised anyone there... Um, uh, um, you know, would have shown displeasure because they joke around a lot. But, right. You know, th-
4: That's the kind of
2: environment that that show is. It's fun. It's almost like you're you're watching the game with buddies in a bar or something.
9: Yeah. And you know, Frank, they're talking about in politics about how the two sides can't speak to each other. Right. Well, this is why you can't right. even make a joke. Right. And as long as you're doing sports analogy, you know, talking about sports, I'm a meth fan. Definitely a meth fan. But a lot of people say the 1927 Yankees. Were the greatest team ever, and at at that they had Ruth, Gehrig, Tony Lazari, You could look him up, Hall of Fame, and a bunch of other things. You know what they called those Yankee batters? Right, murderers Row. Right. And you know what what they say when uh, in baseball when there's a guy on uh, third base and you bunt, you're going to be out, but you want to score the runner. Score the runner. Right.
2: Suicide squeeze.
9: Exactly, man. You know it's crazy, and you know you want to go back a little bit. One of the funniest and really most benign comedians around was Don Rickles. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't, you know, have a career right now. And they just had the 20th or 40th or something anniversary. You remember the movies *Airplane* with Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Leslie Nielsen? Sure, of course, I they, love those films. Ma- they said they couldn't make those movies today.
2: Yeah, you know, we've done those segments before. I think that's true. It is and it isn't. I mean, I see some of the films that come out these days, and some of them are just so incredibly filthy that I think they're much more filthy than anything that you would have seen 20 or 30 uh, years ago. So I think, th- that I think sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's not. I can tell you this, if Terry Bradshaw made this joke 20 or 30 years ago, I don't think you'd see no. people calling for his firing. That's for sure. And I think that's a shame to me. This is just bizarre. This is absolutely bizarre. I can't even believe I'm having this conversation, but I'm, i I, again, whenever I see something this strange, I, I wrestle with whether to talk about it or not, because by talking about it, on the one hand, I'm adding fuel to the fire, right? I'm stoking the flames, but on the other, I feel the need to call out the absurdity in society. And, you know, the uh, fellow Jeff just now, he said, oh, it's gotten to the point where you can't even make a joke. Terry Bradshaw wasn't even making a joke. If he were to make a joke about suicide, that's one thing. I still think it's not cause for firing or suspension, but that's one thing. Uh, but he didn't do that. He, made, he used suicide as a metaphor, meaning they won't do it. They won't run the ball there is there's is no circumstances in which they'd run the ball just to illustrate that point they would rather kill themselves instead of running the ball i it's a again you don't want to use suicide that way i guess but it's really perfect metaphor for what he was trying to say 808489222 i stand with terry bradshaw on this and then you know again the people i just think of this guy The guy has dedicated his whole life to entertaining others. A great football player, a great athlete, makes the transition to being a great broadcaster. And then he, as as cancer, depression, he's got to deal with these lugheads calling for him to be fired? These people ought to go suck an egg. Okay, and uh, I don't mean literally that they should go suck an egg. I mean that as the expression, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles.
18: Yeah. Hi. Good morning. morning. Um It, it makes
13: it, this whole woke business is so. Now I'm going to use the word insane. Oh my God, insane! It's not a joke to be insane. You know, you can't talk. I wouldn't be able to talk if you're going to be judged on every word that you use. it They're nuts. They're really nuts. It doesn't even make sense. I don't know how people became so illogical. Maybe the people on the social network or whatever you call it want to feel important. So, oh, they're the ones deciding the guy should lose his job. Lose his job for what? What did he do? Right. Right. In addition, besides the fact that he has cancer and is depressed, I, I don't even get it. It, it. it is literal, literally insanity, not borderline. It's insane. They're insane, all of them. Uh,
2: thank you, Charles. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Mike, who is occasionally in the Carolinas, occasionally in Lake George, occasionally in Florida, there's no telling where he's going to be. He is the radio equivalent of Carmen Sandiego. Hello, Mike.
7: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I, I was in Florida. I sold my little one-bedroom 55 community, and I'm in Virginia now. I'm on my way back to uh, Myrtle Beach. I had to go to Long Island for my mother's funeral mass oh, last week. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I had a nice conversation. I Always do with Ken. Uh, uh, I got to disagree, <laughs> disagree with you, Frank.
11: How dare you? Know, you?
7: I, I I have a friend whose son, Afghanistan, uh, uh, excuse me. Yeah, he was in a war. He committed suicide. Uh, Terry Bradshaw, I know, suffered from depression, but in, in case in point, in the case in point, what he said, I mean, he should be suspended for a couple of uh, broadcasts because, you know, people like that, and I know he battled, but people like that, you know, uh, need to measure their words of what they say on a live broadcast or whatever, a tape, they need to measure their words. Well, That's my opinion. Okay, so
2: uh, I'm so interested in this, um, Mike, yeah, because yeah. you strike me as such a, a common-sense guy. And so the fact that you um, think that Terry Bradshaw should be disciplined, it, 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 I find very interesting. When you say people like that, what do you mean? Right. You mean people on TV, pe- broadcasters?
7: Talking about – you know, I was an extra to a couple flicks. Big deal. Okay, Robin Williams I met a number of years ago and a few other uh, people – when you're a celebrity of some sort, okay, and you're speaking, and when you mentioned suicide, uh, you know he's sort of like, you know, I didn't see the broadcast. I heard, I heard the tape. I just tuned in a little while ago. But you know, people of celebrity status need to measure their words. That that's my point of view. I think uh, he should be. Hey, you know what, Terry? Take a couple of weeks off. Right, Take right. But but off. Mike, but why? What it is? What did he say
2: that you feel uh, crosses a line? And what is the line that he crossed? Is it that
7: you can't mention the word suicide? Is that what it is? You can you can mention the word suicide, but in his broadcast, oh, he should have committed suicide if he's not going to run the ball or throw the ball, whatever the case is. You know, wrong answer. I'm an old hardball player. You know, whatever. Wrong answer. Right. That's my point. Uh,
2: Well, Mike, thank you. Uh, And uh, again, sorry about your mom's passing. He did not say, oh, he should have committed suicide. Listen to what he says. What he says was he would rather commit suicide than run the ball. Um, He's basically using the metaphor of suicide to describe that running back's motivations and his desire to run the ball, I think it. it I, I you know I don't think
7: he has anything to apologize for. Listen again. I want to see Connor they're not, get involved. They're not I want to see. Well, I'd like they're to see They're not going to do it. Out. They just can't do well, it. Well, yeah, the, their mentality is throw, 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 throw. I think if this kid ran five or six runs in a row, I think he'd commit suicide or something they have whoa, to throw whoa, 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 a little whoa. dark to this audience <laughs> yeah that guy had dark for all of us <laughs> they just they just don't seem to care anything about the running game that's the way they well, were, I, I don't they, think
2: it's a, yeah. and you know what I, I like about what terry bradshaw did there after these these hyenas uh, react as if terry bradshaw just uh self immolated you know after they react as if he just I don't know, uh, defecated right in the middle of the TV studio. What he did was so onerous and so egregious. The, he clarifies what he says. He says, I just don't think they're going to run the ball. He explains exactly what he meant. I don't think it's inappropriate in the least. 800 Tim is in Vermont. Hello, Tim.
10: Hi. Uh, I was thinking of kind of comparison. Comparing his comment to uh, is it
18: really that serious when, uh, on the other hand, we just let uh, hardened criminals wander the streets and it really doesn't seem to bother anybody?
2: Wait, wait. So you're comparing Terry Bradshaw's comments about the running back to putting hardened criminals on the streets?
19: Yeah. his comment really isn't that. It isn't that serious. Yeah,
10: in
7: no comparison kidding. to the the more serious issues that society yeah, has per- got to deal with.
2: Precisely, Tim. But look, they're not. They're commenting on football games. They're not commenting on criminal justice issues. So I, I find it to be absurd, and it's just so interesting to me what people choose to get worked up about. All right. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to try and win $1,000. If you are the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-9222, that is 800-848-9222. We'll give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, you will win some money. Uh, we'll do the $1,000 minute
1: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano. Frank <laughs>
2: Townsend, Let My Love Open the Door, Uh, and you know it's funny, this song plays in the last scene of a film that I just saw called The Atom Project, which is a time travel movie, and you know that I'm a sucker for uh, time travel films, and it's funny, when it started playing, my wife was in the room, and she thought it was Walk of Life, and we have covered the Walk of Life Project on this radio program where uh, this guy is out there to prove that it is the perfect song to end any motion picture. And uh, she said, wow, that's funny that that song, which, again, she thought was Walk of Life, that that song's actually in the film. Now, it's not Walk of Life, but it does sound like it. By the way, I uh, want to give a special shout-out. Today is Election Day. And uh, want to give a special shout-out to everybody that is getting up extra early today. Because they are either uh, volunteering on political campaigns or working at the uh, poll sites or any of a number of reasons. I know uh, my mom is a very proud Board of Elections employee. She's working today. And uh, my friend Joan Graves and a number of others. So big shout out to everybody. For those of you that are going to vote today, I always like to vote early. I like to get it over with, get it done. I have election day to be on the radio or to sleep or to volunteer for other campaigns. But for those of you that are uh, working, who are voting today, try to have some patience with the folks who are working at the polls today because they're, they're, everyone's doing the best they can. Right. And uh, there's a lot going on and people should just chill out. That's my advice. Be patient. And, um, so, today is a lunar eclipse day. The partial eclipse has begun. So, I'm looking forward to looking at this when I'm, we end the show in about a half hour. But right now, if you look at the moon, it should look like a bite is being taken out of the lunar disk. And the totality will begin in about 45 minutes. And that will look like the moon turning a coppery. Red. All right, we're gonna play the thousand dollar minute in just a moment. Meanwhile, Kenneth, I understand you let somebody play that was ineligible to play yesterday. What, what happened there? What was the what was the story? We're not hearing you. If you if you're talking, we're not hearing. They were eligible to play. Oh, they were eligible because I heard they won a prize fourteen days ago or something. No, according to the rules on the website. If you have not won a p- three or more prizes in the last 30
17: days, you're still eligible. Oh,
1: there you go. It's in the rules. All right. I, and I I went over the rules. It says, if you've not won more than three prizes within 30 days, you're eligible.
2: All right. And, so and let, over
1: 18. You'll so. let
2: Jake the Snake Roberts know, right? Yes, yes I, I did, did let him know. A wonderful. Great. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, then uh, let us let uh, today's contestant play with impunity. It is time for...
1: Other Side of Midnight presents it's the thousand dollar minute answer ten questions correctly in one
7: minute and you could win one thousand dollars here's your
3: host
2: thank you Chris Libertini let us say hello to Fred in Yonkers hello Fred
3: hey good morning Frank how are you
2: I'm well now Fred you've played this game before right
3: I've played uh, twice since you've been on the air, my friend. Because some people... My favorite show of all time. Well, that's
2: nice. Thank you. Some people are always saying that they try to get through, but they can't get through. But you have somehow figured out a way to get through multiple times. And I guess everyone's trying to figure out what you're doing right that everyone else is doing wrong.
1: I just
3: called when you said to. Simple as that. There you go.
2: There you go. All
3: right. So you know the rules.
2: Are you ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. What color traffic light means go? Green. Where is Central Park located? New York City. What actor played Captain Kirk and T.J. Hooker?
6: Uh Oh, you just said him. uh, T.J. Hooker.
3: William Shatner.
2: What state is Dr. Oz running for U.S. Senate in?
3: Pennsylvania. How
2: many miles is a standard marathon?
3: 26.2. How many
2: teeth does an adult human have? 26. Ah, uh, no. Unfortunately, it is 32 teeth for an adult human. 32 I mean, that's you a lot of tea. see teeth. my
3: choppers, Frank. <laughs> you should see my choppers, my friend. All right. Well, you made it up
2: to uh, question six. I'm sorry you didn't win the thousand, but I'm going to put you on hold. Hopefully, Kenneth is in a generous mood and will fight with, uh, with our promotions department to get you a prize, which you seem to be entitled to. All right. Uh, by the way, <clears throat> somebody pointed out that um, that if you listen to – if you look at the descriptions of our podcasts – Uh, And you could find the podcast just by searching the other side of Midnight or Frank Morano on any podcast app that the descriptions of our podcast, which I think Kenneth is at least partially, if not entirely responsible for, he's usually right. So uh, this person writes, for all the teasing that you give Kenneth, one thing you should commend him on is that he rarely screws up the podcast. And he points out a couple of the other podcasts that he listens to where they do make mistakes in the description. So that's that's true. I do want to acknowledge that uh, Kenneth usually does his job adequately. I do want to say that. And I do not frequently tease Kenneth, number one. And if, I, if anybody gets frequently teased on this program, uh, whether it's Matt Blaze, Kenneth, um, uh, or Alex Barnard, it's only because they're. I know they're all good sports. I would not tease someone on the radio or in real life who was sensitive about certain things or got upset with certain things. Not uh, you know not by a uh, not by a country mile. You know uh, so so there's that. Everybody gets and you know who who gets it the worst is me. I, I am very very tough on myself. So uh, it's not as if I'm sitting there casting judgment upon uh, everybody else. All right. Um in terms of um in terms of where we're going tomorrow. Obviously, we're going to have election results coming in from all over the country and there's a lot of exciting races in a lot of different time zones. So, as these different races uh, by the time we get on air tomorrow, obviously all the East Coast races will be called. At least the in, at least in the key races that I'm following. Some may take a few more days, depending on the rules that the states have. Pennsylvania looks like that's going to be close. And so we may not exactly know who's won what then in Pennsylvania. But um, there are going to be a lot of West Coast races and other races that will be unfolding as we're on the air. So tomorrow we're going to have a panel of folks here to analyze all these different races, tell you what they mean and uh, where we go from here. So I'm looking forward to being on tomorrow, and um, it's going to be, you know, a little bit more politics-heavy tomorrow than the show traditionally. is. You know why? Because it's the day after Election Day. We're going to have a left-wing perspective. We're going to have a right-wing perspective. We're going to have all sorts of folks here. Speaking of what happened today in history, John F. Kennedy was actually elected president today in 1960, becoming the youngest man elected as president at the age of 43. And uh, what happened today in 2016 is Donald Trump was actually elected president as well. He was the one of the oldest presidents in our history. So it's uh, very interesting if you look at uh, that. In terms of birthdays, Vlad the Impaler... It was his birthday today. You know, I mean, this is going to blow your mind. At least I think it will. It blows my mind because when you think about astrology and things like that. Vlad the Impaler was who? Who You know who Vlad the Impaler was? Yes. Who was it? Dracula. Dracula, that's right. Lived in 1431. Now, do you know who else's birthday it is today? Could it blow your mind with this? you impress all your friends at the office or at the voting booth with this information today. Today is also the birthday of Bram Stoker. You know what Bram Stoker wrote? Dracula. Now, that is nuts. The fact that Dracula and the guy that wrote Dracula have the same birthday wow. in spite of the fact that they were born 400 years apart from one another, that
7: is crazy. This is crazy.
2: Um, I find it pretty interesting anyway. Maybe no one else does. All right. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far. And, uh, oh, by the way, in term, aside from what happened today in history, today is also, as I understand it, and uh, I'm not, I, I, this is not a big holiday for me, but today is National Cappuccino Day. National Cappuccino Day, Election Day and National Harvey Wallbanger Day. I'd love oh and World Pianist Day. So that's it. That. Uh Paula is in Manhattan. Hello Paula.
24: Hello Frank. Um this is kind of weird. Okay. Um uh, we like weird. Good. <laughs> this is super weird. Mm-hmm. Um I should have called way sooner, but it just occurred to me I was already kind of resigned to the fact that I wouldn't be able to vote. And I want to vote for Lee Zeldin and all the other Republicans because I am a big, super Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have agoraphobia. So I'm kind of petrified to leave my apartment at this point. I've been, I was attacked twice because I wasn't wearing a mask like that during the um, lockdown um, period. And that's what led to my developing agoraphobia. I was seriously attacked.
2: Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. That's rough.
24: Yeah, it was bad. Um, I had my glasses broken and my head smashed, and so I ended up with head trauma. So, yeah, I think it was because I wasn't wearing a mask.
2: Mm, Well, that's awful. Uh, But what can I help you with?
24: Um, Whether you could somehow, through all the people you know, I'm up in Inwood, whether something could be arranged so somebody could meet me, you know, at my building and could walk me to the polling station so I can vote. Otherwise, you know, I'll just have to skip it.
2: Well, um, so I'm guessing you did not uh, fill out an absentee ballot.
24: No, I did not. Right. I I thought I heard something. I think it was on W.A.B.C. that that um, the Republicans had managed to get that um, done away with.
2: No, uh, that no, uh, they didn't. And that had to do with the counting. And that was uh, but that that's uh, but no, there's there's always absentee ballots if you can't make it uh, to the polls. And uh, what, what I would suggest is that next yeah. year uh, that you apply for permanent absentee ballot status. This way they just send you the absentee ballot to your house. You could fill it out and put it in the mail. Um, you know, Paula, I'm not going to try and find uh, someone to walk you to the polls. Just because, let's say, someone uh, offers to walk you to the polls, and then something happens, the two of you guys get into an accident, or the person turns out to Ooh. be a crazy person, and you know pushes you onto, uh, a, you know, onto an oncoming bus or something. I, I don't want to play a role in that. So I, I think, in le- in, I think you may have to. Um, I think you may have to skip this one, unless you're you're willing to. What? Well, what about taking an Uber? Can you take an Uber to the to the polls? Are you up for that?
24: Um, I don't know. Getting into a car with somebody, a stranger. I don't know. At this point, I am really I am dealing with PTSD. That's really bad. Mm. I also went to the Green Market. Um, this is a separate incident. Without a mask. Um, the other incident was just walking on the street um, in my neighborhood, and then the other incident was at the green market Then a mob formed, and people were screaming um – don't give her any food, get her, you know, get her out of here. She's yeah. not wearing well, a mask.
2: Well, that's, I know. mean, that's just terrible, Paula. But it's I think, um, yeah, I, I don't I think. I want to move to Florida and I, I can't afford it. Well, I, I can understand that. Paula, I think uh, your best bet for the elections uh, next June and November are is going to be to go permanent absentee ballot. But I, I, I don't think there's anything I could do for you this time, unfortunately. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Daniel is in Nevada. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Frank, what's up, man? I'm doing okay. How are you? Pretty good, man.
22: Uh, what is it? Five, four, four hours till the ballots open here in Nevada? Or the oh. box is open, I should say.
2: I Well, I see. I don't know what time the, the polls open in Nevada, but that sounds I've, about right.
20: I, I asked the lady at the voting center yesterday, and she said 7
22: a.m. to 7 p.m., so. That's what I'm going with. I'll go stand in line at 7 o'clock in the morning, sure. All right. Well, great. Great. Any predictions for That's how Nevada what? goes? Oh, uh, Laxalt for the win, right. in my humble opinion. I hope. I hope.
2: Well, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Anything else you want to add there, uh, Daniel? Uh, Yeah, I had something, but I forget. Oh, how do you take a steak? <laughs> I give up. Oh well,
22: Is that no, a joke? I mean, pers- personally, no. No. Oh, like, it's not a joke. Rare, oh, oh. I'm not
2: tuna. a I'm not a big red meat uh eater, honestly, Daniel. I I do like a a tuna steak. I would go medium rare on the tuna steak. Thank you though, Daniel. Um, by the way, I also want to wish a happy birthday to um, the commissioner of the softball league that I used to play in, Michael Latanzio. He works in the uh, Corporation Counsel's office in New York City. Oh, so hopefully his coworkers will give him a hard time today. And a former guest on this show, uh, Richard Luthman, who was... An attorney and then became a convicted felon. And now he's an occasional um, legal analyst on this show uh, because most of our legal analysts are convicted felons. Happy birthday to you. And uh, we'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. 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 It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Marano.
2: way you are listening to a person who now has uh, libel insurance that's right my wife informed me the other day that she is adding Im- an umbrella insurance policy to our our homeowners right I said what does that cover and she lists a whole bunch of things and um, all good things all things we should have insurance for. And she said, and if anyone in our household, and she's looking at me and she says, wink, wink, gets sued for libel or slander, and she then stops winking and said, most likely you, then we will be covered for that. So this is always the danger with insurance because now, look, I don't think I say libelous things or slanderous things about anybody, but now I feel a lot more comfortable. Right Now I'm maybe a little bit more willing to skirt that line. So, Ted Koppel, I'd watch out if I were you. You right? may get libeled. So anyway, I, you're listening to someone with libel insurance now through this umbrella policy. So there's that. Hey, uh, over the weekend, I did manage to see a motion picture. This was the one I watched on Friday evening when... My wife felt Looper was a little too dark. So we watched a Will Ferrell film called The Other Guys. It's with um, Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, Michael Keaton, who's great in it, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, and The Rock. It's a buddy cop action film from about 12 years ago. And, um, you know, like a lot of these Will Ferrell movies, it's a little dumb, it's, it's not as good as some of the classic Will Ferrell movies like Anchorman, but it's better than some of the Will Ferrell movies. It's uh, sort of the Will Ferrell take on cop movies, right? You know whether you like these kind of films or not. If you do like it. I think it was uh, very enjoyable. I thought it was fun. If you're expecting a super realistic cop movie or a super dramatic action movie, skip this one. But if you're in the mood for a lighthearted cop comedy with, with predictable humor and a mediocre story, then... This is not a bad way to spend 90 minutes. So if you like Will Ferrell and you haven't seen the other guys, check it out. I uh, I will recommend it. If, if you're a Will Ferrell fan, you know whether you're a Will Ferrell fan or not. Here's a little bit of the trailer to the other guys.
1: Tell me
7: once again why I got on this roof. I chalked that up to bad life choices. In the toughest city in the world, nobody fights crime like these guys.
3: Uh, somebody call 91 holy mm-hmm.
1: And then there's the other guys Stop humming that song We
3: know we know all the gunfights all the car chases all the sex we don't wanna have with women but we have to yeah. all do to what you guys do,
17: and we do it again and again.
3: Hey, hey, hey if I want to hear you talk, I will shut my arm and work your mouth like a puppet. Yeah. Peace
17: out. Yeah. Real, real characters.
3: Yeah. You stopping
18: me?
17: What? I think you're a fake cop. I hear a guy who's probably a little insecure.
15: All units, we've got a possible jumper. We all know you're in a very dark place right now. I'm gonna do it. You're feeling as if sweet death is your only
2: release. Oh, oh, oh we got a second jumper. Oh, look, he's fine.
7: Ah. Hi. Who are you? I'm his wife.
0: This is a ball and
18: chain. Ooh, come on, seriously, who is that?
7: I am a real cop. I'm working on a huge
17: case. You're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wooden gun. Oh! Listen up. We need your cooperation. Run! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: We are doing a lot of property damage!
17: Oh cool, a helicopter! Ah! Where'd you learn to drive like that? Grand
3: Theft Auto!
7: I wanna do good cop back up.
3: I come strong. And then you come in. Got it. I wanna know everything! Now! Okay, I'll,
7: I'll talk to you, you're reasonable. Now, you wanna talk to you me? Ah!
1: Ah! 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 Get away, ah!
17: I thought you said bad cop, bad cop.
1: I am a peacock!
20: You gotta let me fly! Pick another bird. Peacocks—they don't fly, Terry. They don't, do they?
17: Just let them have it,
1: Captain. The other guys.
17: Ah, how do they walk away in movies without flinching when it explodes behind them? There's no way. <laughs> the movie industry is completely irresponsible for the way they portray explosions.
2: So that gives you a pretty good sense of the entire hundred or so minutes of the film. I enjoyed it. And if you're looking for something lighthearted, I think you would as well. All right. Uh, Without further ado, let us end this Election Day portion of the program by giving you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of...
1: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of fame. Fame. Roger! Yeah, hi. You know how um, the
22: states get to regulate their own how the elections are done. I think that's fine for state offices, but I think federal offices maybe ought to be regulated federally.
2: Well, they can be, and uh, the Constitution gives Congress the ability to do that.
7: Joe, hey Frank, great show. Shout out from Mike from Palm Beach, and let's get out and vote. Hopefully, vote Zeldin, vote like your life depended on it. Thank you, Frank.
4: Mike. Good morning, Frank. Frank, if they can't afford bread,
20: let them eat cake. But everyone knows you can't dip cake in your Chef Boyardee. It
7: just doesn't taste good. Rick. Frank, amazing that uh, Brad, uh, Brent Stoker was born on
20: the
2: same day as Brad the Impaler, but you forgot to mention one day, one thing. Today's a bloody moon. Ah, well done. Gary.
7: Wall Street Journal put out a poll saying half of Republicans want to
3: cut back aid to the Ukraine uh, intervention. Marjorie Taylor Greene said not one more penny for Ukraine. Attacked by Liz Cheney as pro-Putin. Daniel.
20: Vlad the Impaler. I think we need a little more of that. I'm pretty
2: sure they could put Trump as uh, Speaker of the House if they wanted to, right? Yeah, anybody. You don't have to be a member of Congress. E. Frank.
6: So, um, Frank, uh, uh, Terry Bradshaw said something offensive
16: about suicide. That means that years ago on your show when I said that I was flying like an eagle, like in the, the song The Eagles, that I was trying to commit suicide.
2: And finally, David. All right, uh... This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. Back tomorrow with election results, election analysis, and your calls. Uh, Hope you vote today. Frank Moreno, good day.